0: the hitcher meant an incredible amount to me because i made the hitcher on instinct i decided in like 3 days uh, after meeting the director and reading a screenplay and seeing his short film i thought this is perfect and this is just at the moment that lady hawk was released man people were telling me i was going to be to play the good guys and i didn't understand it because i think you know i'm an actor i'm not here to play any sort of guy i'm here to sort of see if I can create a variety of characters in, in certain films and then see if it works and, and learn and learn from it. So I did the hitcher, and for that film to be a cult film for so long is just delicious because I made it like I went both This is a great script. It's a horror movie of the best kind in my mind. The director and I felt at home with each other from the first moment. And I thought, yeah, there's no way, you know, there's no way, I'm an actor, I'm going to do this. The material sort of spoke to me, and, and so did the director, so what else do you need?
1: Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is a bi-weekly show, and this is episode 178. This episode of Horror Movie Podcast is brought to you by our Movie Podcast Network patrons and by Shudder, the Netflix for horror. You can try Shudder free for 30 days. Just go to Shudder.com and use the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S H U dder.com and the promo code HMP on horror movie podcast you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classics and new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy rent or avoid these movies this is Gilman Joel Robertson and my co-hosts are
2: Dave Dr. Stock from just outside Philadelphia PA and Wolfman
3: Josh and my mother told me never to do this.
1: Do do what?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Talk to two strange men on the phone.
1: Yeah, while you're while you're on the literal <laughs> road, right?
3: I, I'm I'm literally right now driving down a nearly empty highway in eastern Oregon. There are open fields on both sides of my car with you know the big uh, sprinklers waterings. Watering crops to one side and tractors working to the other. So yeah, it's it's a scene right out of the Hitcher.
1: Wow! There. Wow! So you're you're in a, in a way. Uh, what, what is the what is the horror movie challenge?
3: Yeah this is a dead serious horror challenge that's yeah, huh? right there, oh, there it is go. yeah the
1: dead serious yep. horror challenge yes you should well,
3: I guess I need to pick up a hitchhiker is what you're saying
1: I think that just to make this feel very authentic and real yes well oh,
3: if right. you, pa- you
2: pass him and then when you when you pass him again a mile down the road then pick him up yeah okay
1: <laughs> well on this episode of Horror Movie Podcast we are talking about movies that will take you down the highway to hell You'll think twice about hitchhiking, or its modern day equivalent, Uber, as we feature review two classics of this subgenre. First up, we're reviewing The Hitcher from 1986. Then, for our Shudder sponsored Screaming Online segment, it's the seminal classic, the standard bearer of horrors on the highway, Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. Of course, before our reviews, we'll be discussing other hellish highway horror movies and what makes these movies so terrifying. And a little after that, we'll get to a tribute to the one and only Rutger Hauer. All right, so let's do this. Let's talk about some hellish highway movies. This subgenre, which I have to be honest, after learning that folk horror was a beloved subgenre for you wolfman for me i have to say horrors that happen in highway like scenarios i have this odd fondness for myself like this is one of my favorite subgenres
3: yeah and of course there are a lot of different directions a conversation like this could go so i imagine we'll be getting even more specific on future episodes we could talk about killer cars we could talk about hotels from hell Sure. So there are a lot of different uh, ways you could approach a topic like this. But, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think there's something about being on the open road. I personally am someone who loves a good road trip, so much so that the day I got back from Hawaii, which was the day before yesterday, we got in the car and drove to Oregon. So, um, I yeah, I love just being out on the road. And, and it's something that never really occurred to me because I think home is always – Felt like rural places because it's like where my grandparents lived where we'd visit for Christmas and things like that. And so it never really occurred to me until I was an adult that the countryside could be creepy. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I I remember watching this movie, Brigham City, which I've talked about a lot on this show. And the FBI agent in that film is talking to the sheriff of the small town. And she's saying, it's so creepy out here in the middle of nowhere. And he kind of laughs at that. Like, what are you talking about? You're from New York City or something like that. (laughs) But I... I'm starting to understand that as I get older, you know, I, I think you, I, I definitely, I've got really long hair and a really long beard and, and darker skin and you walk into some places in kind of more rural areas and you definitely get a, you're not from around here kind of look sometimes, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, in Hawaii, I think it was a bit of that too, but from the other direction, I think my wife and kids got, uh, you're not from around here. Look, sometimes would go places. So, I think uh, I think that's a real thing. I guess the question I have for you, Joel, and you're not. I guess is Florida strictly considered part of the South? Uh,
1: strictly, yes. But Florida's odd in that we have so many transplants from the North. For instance, my mom's side of the family, we're all from Pennsylvania. So your neck of the woods there, Dave. And yeah. my dad's family though was Louisiana, North Georgia, and that. So it's this weird hodgepodge of cultures. So depending on where you're at in the state. So South Florida is, of course, that, you know, Miami for a lot of that area is sort of notorious for all the transplants from, say, New York and the the Northeast and and that kind of thing. And then if you go into the middle part of the state, it's a lot of agriculture can be very rural. That's I'm sort of right in between Tampa and Orlando and, and the little town that I'm in is it's a, it's a, a pretty, you know, for what it is, the size, of everything. It's a pretty sophisticated town. It has a pretty good like art scene going on, a lot of cool stuff. But you know, a lot of the surrounding area is very, you know, agricultural, very rural. And I think for me, because so much of Florida, and I mean obviously most of the United States, a lot of it is made up of interstates and and highways and roadways. Yeah, but
3: highways and byways. Exactly, maybe. exactly. Mm-hmm. And
1: but in Florida, because we have so much tourism and everything going on you know i i just always remember my dad when my parents got divorced every other weekend he would come get us and we oftentimes would take the interstate so we would you know take i4 which i believe has actually been ranked one of the deadliest interstates in the country which is saying something and he would but there were other times because that interstate should drive him nuts that he would take us these backways, or if we were going up to Tallahassee because we had some family up there as well, we would go a back way and it would take maybe technically an extra 45 minutes. But it was the kind of drive where it was a little bit more scenic and it was down these old roads like uh, US 27 or and you could What was cool about them is much like in Psycho, how they talk about how the Bates Motel, once they built the interstate, it took all the traffic away you pass a lot of these motels that are still there. Some of them still functioning, but you can see how these areas had once been thriving, more likely back in the fifties and sixties. But once the interstate system kicked in and, and uh, people were just worried about going, you know, to Orlando for Disney world and Tampa for Busch gardens or whatever it, that dynamic changed. And I remember always feeling driving down those more back roads, those back highways That you know there was there was people around, but there was still this sense of isolation. And I think a lot of the the best movies in these tie into that really nicely.
3: I agree with you. I I love that feel the Route 66. Yes, kind of this forgotten Americana feel. And I and I think that's why these types of movies appeal to me so much. Yeah. But what I was what I was originally kind of getting at there is I don't think it was until I saw films that took place in the South until I saw stuff like
1: 2000 Deliver- maniacs which was shot in florida by the
3: way yeah <laughs> no, there you go no it was more just it was you know it's that deliverance yeah. kind of thing it's the texas chainsaw massacre kind of thing the sure. devil's rejects kind of thing you start wrong turn mm-hmm. a lot of these movies it's the hillbilly sure stuff that seems a little scarier to me even though, again, I've lived in a lot of rural areas of my life, I think out west it just feels a little bit different to me mm-hmm. than it does in the south. And so, I guess what I wanted to ask you, and again, I don't know if this applies to you necessarily as a Floridian, but are Southerners also scared of the South? <laughs> uh,
1: well, it's, it's funny. It's funny you say that. This one is. Uh, I, I would. I, I would say that I, what I take it as is that it's the aesthetic of Southern Gothic, that there is. Something okay. about a mixture of the history that we know existed so prevalently here and and up until recent right. memory. Um, the fact that I'll tell you right now in Florida, I remember my dad telling me in some neighboring towns up into like the thirties and I think even into the, maybe the forties that there were lynchings of African-American men. I mean, so it like this area, even where I'm at, isn't that far removed from some pretty horrific, awful real life horrors. And The fact that that is always there, like it's always under the surface. And so I I remember one time we were going up to, I think it was we're going up to North Carolina and we're on the road with the kids and they're all really young. And we drove through this part of Georgia and it was somewhere in central Georgia, I believe. And we stopped off at a gas station and there was this dilapidated, like Victorian style house in almost this open field, but it had been there for so long that. All this, you know, greenery had kind of grown up over it, and it just had this creepy, like, like as if this would be the house that the 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 Sawyer family or whatever you want to call them from from a uh, Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> would have lived in had it not collapsed in on them. I mean, and so even as one who's you know lived here my whole life, there's certain pockets I'll go into, and I I feel completely like an outsider. I feel like you know it's not like I quote unquote fit in. In in certain scenarios, uh, depending on where I go, so um, yeah, I I get it. Like I I th- and I think there's something legit to it. And in a weird way, and I, maybe this is the horror fan in me, I kind of embrace that twisted Southern Gothic yeah. nature of the whole thing. The fact that there is right. this pervasive creepy weirdness to all of it, and it, it's almost like what I believe a lot of people maybe in the Northeast might feel about. Because you know you get the Lovecraftian idea, and the and there there's so many. Uh, aspects of that that can that it's it's so yeah. old feeling and i don't know i i just i there is something to that that i think is a legitimate yeah. feeling yeah
3: and the pacific northwest where i am right now there also there's like this certain type of magical creepiness to the woods and things here that you kind of embrace when you're in this area i think mm-hmm. yeah I, I get that uh, that's really relatable
1: but it is interesting because i think a lot of these hi- highway to hell movies they aren't necessarily in towns. Well, I mean, some of them may, you know, they have passing through sort of situations, but for the most part, they either end up on these desolate stretches of highway or, or in offshoots, like some kind of ramshackle farmhouse. That's just off of the, the highway, that kind of thing. So,
3: yeah, and even if there are towns, they're oftentimes like U-Turn, which isn't strictly a horror film. Sure. But they're, they're in these little places where the isolation matters. Like, that, you're not going to be able to get help, you know, if you need it. There aren't going to be other outsiders around to help you sure. if you need it. Everyone there is probably in on whatever's going
1: on. Yes. Yeah, I would say, too, that I think it's an interesting question to ask. Not just the feeling, the weird, creepy feeling that we get, but... What is it about? and I, I don't I don't know that this is exclusively to people in the United states. I, I I can't speak obviously to people in Europe or in other parts of of the world. but I do believe that the u s has always been a very obsessed with cars culture and you know, the, the images from the fifties and the sixties and the seventies, even and of families going on day trips or or Sunday drives. And, and you would, you know, it was such a, a sort of a leave it to beaver aspect to everything. And I, I wonder if a lot of these movies are that flip side of the coin in the same way. And one of my beloved top 10 movies, the stepfather is like the stepfather is that you, you took leave it to beaver or father knows best and showed you the ugly underbelly of that and I feel like a lot of these movies are that as well. Like, oh, we're going out for a day trip. We're going to go out and just have a nice time and and just enjoy ourselves and spend time together. And before we know it, we're you know being served up as barbecue, or being you know run off the road by an unseen killer in a diesel truck.
3: Yeah, and what, that's what you know. David Lynch always talked about that with his films, be it Blue Velvet or the development of Twin Peaks. He wanted to kind of look at Americana as this rock that you're going to pick up and turn over and there's going to be all of this dark wiggly grimy stuff underneath the Mm -hmm. rock. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's interesting. Also, again, with, in, uh, with regard to the South, this idea of, you know, there is like this kind of Southern hospitality and Southern charm and, and that side of the South. And so it is interesting to have that turned on its head and see the darker yeah. Side of
1: that, as and, well. and, and I think one of the big cliches about the South, and it's true of, of to some degree, like a lot of cliches and stereotypes can be, but the idea that everyone in the South is very friendly and that you right. know everyone's going to be welcoming, and they all just want to you know, hey, you know, come on down, have a little little sweet tea, and some you know that you know, they, they, you know <laughs> that that sort of aspect of it, and, and look, they're they're there. I mean, I remember when I would go stay with my dad and my grandmother, she was very, I mean, she was L- Louisiana. Her maid name was Chalet. I mean, it was you know, very, <laughs> you know, background Cajun French, uh, French total uh, side note that you may end up editing out Josh, but the movie Southern Comfort, which, which have you ever seen that classic uh, Walter Hill film? You've seen that one, Dave? Yeah. Okay. You guys have seen it, okay?
2: Yeah, a no, long time ago, I did see. Yeah, yeah. Well, in
1: that, they're in the Louisiana Bayou. These uh, guys, they're um, uh, national guardsmen or whatever, and they end up having to battle the locals. Well, in in the scenes, there they go into some of the Bayou, and the people they use there were the actual residents. And I remember seeing that movie and going, "Holy crap, that looks like my grandmother!" <laughs> like they were they were <laughs> spitting image. It was weird, and so that was the kind. Of, so I would go there. And the environment on one hand, to, to like, especially to strangers, was always so warm and welcoming. But then there were times when the doors were closed and nobody's around, and you'd witness things and hear things and hear the gossiping and hear the, and see, and watch people's real face. And you're like, oh, okay. You know, and as a kid, you don't always know how to process that. But I remember that experience of, of seeing that juxtaposition of, on one hand, It's always like the opposite of this, right? Where with strangers, we act a certain way because we want to keep up a facade. And then when when the doors close, then we take off the mask and we show more of of who we
3: really are. And that's got to be the major fear driving films like Vacancy or Breakdown, where you have these people who seem like they're going to be helpful to you in some way, but can you really trust them? Can you, can you close your eyes and go to sleep in this roadside motel? Can you uh, take this person's word for it when they hook your car up to their tow truck that they're going to be taking you back to a shop and not out into the middle of nowhere to kill you? You know, Wolf Creek has probably one of the best examples of that. Yes.
2: You know, with, um, with, with Mick Taylor, I mean, nobody comes off as as a more likable character than him in that movie. And if he offered me water, I'd have drank that water. Right. Yeah.
3: By the way, we still have not gotten around to covering the Wolf Creek series, but I think that is something that should be on our to-do list. Definitely. Which will be Absolutely. fun because
1: uh, full disclosure, I have not seen any of them.
3: Oh, Ooh. wow. I'll be,
1: oh, yeah. yeah. Great. Cause it came out in 2005, which is right when we were getting ready to have our first, So it was like in that window. I've I've talked about it before where I just never got to it by the time it was out on video and everything, you know, oddly enough, popping that in, you know, when you're dealing with a newborn just didn't appeal to me at the time. So, (laughs) so just slipped off. It just kind of slipped off the radar. So yeah, I've got some to catch up on some, some new quote unquote, newer ones to catch up on. Um, another one I did want to bring up because it's funny. I don't, I don't know why I don't think of it as being a highway to hell horror movie, but it totally is. And it kind of not contradicts what you're saying, Josh, because what you're saying is totally true about the South, but it is an example of where being more out West can feel horrific, which is one of my personal favorites. Uh, and I'm talking about the original 1977, the Hills have eyes that, mm-hmm. you know, that movie I always loved. It's always been one of my favorites, uh, the Craven made. Yeah. And right. I, I just love that movie. And it's of course a great example of, you know, family out together. But again, you, you, what I like about that movie is how he deconstructed this seemingly perfect nuclear family and turned them into the primal animalistic killers by the end.
2: But even even though I see and I loved I love uh, Craven's version of that, too. I think that's one of my favorite West Craven movies as well. Mm-hmm. But I am also a fan of the remake mm-hmm. uh, that Alexander Aja made, um, I guess, came out in the mid 2000s. And that's really one of the things that when, when you think about like horror uh, on the road is the fact that these people are, are heading to something that they've been really looking forward to, you know, that they're, they're heading yes. on vacation. They're mm-hmm. heading out on vacation. They're ready to have a great time. And not all of them. I mean, in the movies we're talking about tonight, the situation is a little different, but in, something like the hills have eyes these people are on their way to vacation Mm -hmm. and you know when i know for me personally i look forward to my vacation for months and months and months before it happens
0: so to
2: have something like that if you're in a certain state of mind and now you're in the middle of nowhere and you're put in survival mode just how jarring
3: that must be
1: Mm
3: -hmm. right a lot of these films feature horror in the daylight very prominently as mm-hmm. jordan peele talks about his idyllic horror which i think is what you're touching on there dave I, I agree with that and i think when you talk about the west joel i think the thing that strikes me about the west is scarier than the south is how remote it can get out here mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's like you drive through nevada and there's you're not if you're out in the desert and something happens to you in the deserts of nevada no one's coming to help. Like you're not going to see anyone else. Yeah. Like it's just you in the desert and whatever's
1: It's not just in space that no one can hear you scream is what right. you're saying. Yeah.
3: yeah. It's also the entire state of Nevada. <laughs>
1: gotcha. Well, and, and I don't, I'm assuming that it, this, this other movie that is one of my absolute favorites uh, that I, I love, love, love that is a set in the West highway to hell horror movie in its own right, which is dual. The seventy-one right. TV movie that was yeah. so well received as Spielberg's sort of debut TV. Well, I mean, he had done some, I believe, some Columbo and some uh, and some other things, but this is sort of the one that set things in motion for him, and right. it ended up getting a you know a, a theatrical release. But this movie is total horror in the daylight. I mean, we never get a scene that's not you know, completely out there. And it, again, it's that idea of it's in the West and it does get so isolated. And like, so when your car's overheating and there happens to be a diesel truck that may be driven by either some psychotic or the devil himself, it's bearing down on you. And there's literally no way out of it. And, uh, it it does it so well.
2: Oh, definitely.
3: Well, and with, you know, the hitcher, which we're going to talk about later, you know, that has some big scenes in death valley california which again it's just so desolate like and if you've ever driven through death valley it really is a bummer i mean i remember driving through there as a kid before cars were as quality as they are now and you know and especially we weren't super rich so we're probably in the 80s driving a car from like you know the mid 70s or or mid 60s i don't know (laughs) (laughs) and you know if your car is overheating i remember when I was a kid driving through death Valley and it's so hot, we have all the windows rolled down and the heater on full blast because I guess your car's not supposed to overheat as easily if your heater is running. So I just yeah. remember blasting the heater through death Valley. And it's like 114 degrees windows down, just wanting to die. Wow. <laughs> and, just, and just hoping we weren't going to overheat. And there, I remember going through their bumper to bumper traffic and just hundreds of cars out on the side of the road, overheated and you can imagine a hills have eyes scenario happening in place like.
2: That. Oof. yeah wow. I th- definitely because you're right i mean there's it's that's i would love to go out to the desert and see it at night i would that's one of my bucket list things is, is to be in the desert and just look up at the sky at night just with none of the light pollution but there is that very scare and i think about it all the time that that if you get a flat tire or you get two mm-hmm. flat tires. Forget one flat tire. You get two flat <laughs> tires, and you got one spare. You're, you're screwed. You know that, that's yeah. that. You're you're screwed. You're 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 off work. What direction
3: do you walk? You might as well be in the Sahara. But that's interesting that we talked about this because the real life possibilities are pretty deadly on their own. But most of these movies do include a pretty strong antagonist as well. So Definitely. most of these films are not just simply survival horror films. Mm-hmm. We're usually dealing with someone who's out to get our protagonist in a major way. Mm-hmm. And that's adds another level of interest, I think, because there's not water in the desert. You're not going to be able to hide out for a few days. If something right. goes wrong sure. and this guy's is right. hunting you, you're already in a situation that could be deadly on its own terms you know oh, yeah. so it's not right again that it's that isolation it's like okay well i can run from this killer i can run from this killer car but you know where am i going you know there's not there's not anyone around that's gonna and, be able to help me and nine
2: times out of 10 maybe 99 times out of 100 you're on the killer's turf they're familiar with it and you're not that's true
1: there's a book that I I loved as a kid, and they did make it into a movie. That the they changed the title, and so it's escaping me. But it had Michael Douglas in it. It came out a few, just a few years ago, the movie version. But the book is called Death Watch. And it's by a guy named Rob White, and it's a very you know narrow little novel. But the whole premise is this. Kid, I remember that. You remember that book? And the and the kid yeah. is a, a guiding this rich lawyer type guy who's real yep. arrogant, and the guy wants to you know bag himself like a big horn cheap or whatever and he doesn't listen to the kid ends up and this is not a spoiler because it's like that what's the, the catalyst for the whole story he ends up shooting and killing like a mountain man and wants to cover it up well the kid is a person of integrity he's like well look it was an accident we'll explain and the guy's like no and so he turns on the kid and strips the kid down to like his boxers and sends him out in the desert and wants to let the elements take him but just in case he's going to hunt basically hunt him as he's going and it's this really wonderful suspense uh, idea but it's to your point of it's bad enough to have to do with the elements but then you know having a guy with a 30-06 and a, a high-powered scope making sure that those elements take you out you know adds a level of horror to the proceedings as well oh yeah
3: i remember a film we talked about a few years ago called downrange which is on shutter currently mm. and do you guys remember that film
1: yes the- I don't know. I never saw that one.
2: It's excellent and so incredibly tense.
1: Okay, I'm I'm adding it. I'm adding it to the list right now. My cue.
3: I personally liked the premise more than I than I liked the execution, but it has some really strong moments, I would say. And basically, you know, this car is driving down the road, and a sniper takes out the tires. Right. Oh, cool. And, And now there's a car full of people, and they're on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere, with no cars coming by, and there's a sniper watching oh, them and they wow. and they can't move and they're kind of stuck behind this car
1: i love that premise too <laughs> yeah
2: and and i i like in the movie too because some then if somebody does come along well guess what they're now stuck in that situation you yeah. know you you think you there you think help is on the way at, at some point and, and it, it turns out to be something completely different i really did i i really liked that movie i thought the the tension in it was uh was extraordinary yeah
1: very cool. Okay, so I want to ask you guys this because obviously we're going to be covering Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And uh, for, for those listening, uh, you know, do know that we are still planning a franchise coverage of of that. But for the purposes of this, we were like, you know, we wanted to do a Screaming Online shutter segment. And we felt, felt like this movie would fit best with this particular theme. And we also knew that we wanted to cover The Hitcher. So I will say this, though. I feel like The Hitcher definitely adheres to the whole highway to hell. I mean, it is a, I mean, you do leave the road a couple times, but it is a road based horror movie. Whereas chance on massacre and, and some other movies that might fall into this bucket do obviously go off of the highway at some point, but it is the road itself that leads you (laughs) to the nightmare uh, and it, and the isolation. So for you, is it that it all has, do you feel like it has to be primarily set? in, in the highway, sort of like a joy ride or a duel or the hitcher, or are you, do you feel like, well, you know, no. if we go off, it's just, as long as the highway is there as a symbol, as a motif, as a element to get our protagonists to their demise, that's good enough.
3: Yeah. I mean, I guess in my mind, I've always thought of it as kind of road trip horror. So okay. I think that can encompass a lot of things. Sure. You know, I think near dark could fall into this category, for instance, for me. And so I think there are, it's a pretty wide berth, but again, I think it allows for we could go back and do an episode solely on killer cars, and I think that could be a lot of fun and we could focus just on movies like Joyride or Duel yeah. or
1: the car. We covered Christine a long time ago, but obviously Christine is not a see it's interesting because Christine's a killer car movie, but it's not technically a road trip movie. I wouldn't no, really right, consider it right. that.
3: Exactly. Yeah. So maybe Christine is a killer car movie, but it doesn't quite fit into this. That maybe wouldn't fit into this genre for me, whereas Texas Chainsaw for me clearly fits into this genre. Sure. Right? Sure. So I, I don't know what it is specifically. You know, I, I think it's just that kind of horror on the road as we've all, you know, as we've kind of referred to in the past. And I, the Hitcher for me was always the film that crystallized that idea for me. But yeah, I don't think it has to just be that. I think deliverance feels like that to me sure. as well. Like yes. it's just, it's the idea that you're kind of out there yes. and the BFE, yeah. you know, and there's yeah. not, there's not other people or other things that can help you. And I, and I, and yeah, and I think what you said is great that the highway is the thing that leads to the danger. It is a highway to hell in that sense, you know, like there's uh-huh. this, 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 trip is going to take you down a road you don't want to go down
1: yeah and i right. haven't seen this in a very long time but you guys remember road games from 1981
3: I, I was just thinking about that movie i haven't
2: seen it in a while either uh and geez i wish i had revisited it because i think it would fit this this theme perfectly it's got it's funny because it's a it's an australian movie but you have stacy Keach meeting jamie lee curtis by chance out mm-hmm. on the open right. road in the outback yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because that was at a time when they were bringing a lot of uh, a lot of American and British actors in much to the chagrin of the Australian actors.
0: Right.
2: But it, it fits perfectly with this. I, I haven't seen it in a while, um, but it's uh, but I but it does. It fits this theme perfectly. Um, and one that I had, uh, I guess talked about before was race with the devil mm-hmm. from the, from the mid seventies with Peter Fonda and Warren Oates in it. They play, uh, some friends, they bring their wives along in this, uh, Winnebago and they're trying and they, they see something they weren't supposed to see. And now they're running from their lives from this cult. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, it's that, that whole sort of thing of, of just, you're in there, you're, you're out there, you're, you're looking to have a good time and okay, well, I saw something I shouldn't see. And now. I'm done. I mean, people now I'm, I'm running for my life. I got to get away from these people. And I don't know any store I go into one of these cult people could be serving behind the counter. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're in their territory. You don't know anybody there. You don't know what the relationships are. You don't know who ties in and who doesn't. You can't go to the cops sometimes because the cops might be tied in with it. Yeah. It's just that, that whole thing of just where, where do you go? You are isolated. And you, you, you know, you've done it to yourself because you've, this is something you wanted to do. You don't know, but you don't even get to your destination. This is like on the way there. And now you're in the middle of whatever, you know, any small town, any, even a big town, you don't know that you don't know the game and you don't know the score, but you're the one being that they're looking to take out. And I think that those type of movies just can, can really bring you to the edge of your seat if done properly.
1: Did either of you see Hush from two thousand eight? It's out of the UK. Yeah,
3: that no. sounds super familiar. I can't think of. It is, not, it's, not the, it's
1: not the. Gwyneth, it's not the Gwyneth Paltrow. Thriller from the uh, the later nineties. And there was
2: a hush that came out that was, I think, a Netflix only movie back in twenty fifteen. But that was that had nothing to. Do oh with, yeah, no, that's like, the, with that's the, the Flan,
1: that's- yeah, that's the Mike Flanagan movie. That's fantastic yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. that's
3: what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. 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 No,
1: this is from two thousand eight. But here's the premise. So I was, as as I was going through this, i was thinking, wow, this actually, I'm going to track this one down. Uh, it's apparently only available on disc at Amazon, according to IMDb. But it the premise is a young couple on a motorway journey are drawn into a game of cat and mouse with a truck driver following a near accident. So a very dual-like vibe. Uh, But the fact that it's out of the UK is what intrigued me, I think, the most out of that. So I I think I'm going to...
3: Because
1: that, I think, would definitely fall within the wheelhouse of what we're talking about. No pun intended.
3: Absolutely. I personally really like uh, films that revolve around a hotel, especially motel. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is about that, but I think there is that additional vulnerability of you needing to sleep somewhere. For me, that... That makes it twice as scary. Whether it's the base motel or the motel hell,
1: vacancy, yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right, I think the idea that you are you need shelter and that these people are the ones who are offering it to you is super freaky.
1: <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh, and back to that thing I, I mentioned earlier that I remember when we go down those back highways, that was one of the things that always sticks on my mind. And a lot of them, even to this day, I've driven down those roads and I've seen them. They're still opera. I mean, there are cars in the parking lot. So I, I assume that the owners of those cars eventually get back into them and leave. But it's usually just like two or three cars in the parking lot that they, they still on the signs will use as their marketing gimmick, things like AC and cable television. Right, <laughs> right. Like, wow, that's really great. <laughs> stay there. You've got to really beware of the ones that say electricity. Yeah, electricity, running water. So I, I I, totally get what you're saying because I think what it is, is that when even when you're in a really nice hotel, I, I cannot believe that I'm the only one that has the paranoid thought of this mirror that is positioned perfectly in front of the bed <laughs> I, I, I have, you, am I, I'm going to say, it. am I the only one who's ever tried to like lift it back and just make sure <laughs> I, I, I will totally do that. I like lift it back. Like, do I see a hole in the wall? Do I, do I see Did, any?
3: Wow. Did you ever see the movie garden state? Natalie Portman, Zach. Braff. Yes. I, yeah, they, I, I have, I
1: have not, but I am familiar with it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, there's,
3: there, there's a scene in that film, not to spoil it. It's a small scene, but they go visit uh, one of Zach Braff's friends at the hotel. And there's like this little hallway that goes between rooms and they can go and look in these two way mirrors of all these different bedrooms oh, at the hotel. <laughs> See, I find that,
1: I find that terrifying. <laughs>
2: there, there, was a, there was a scene like that. And what was that? The, the El Royale movie from, from last year.
1: Oh yeah. 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 There's a battle at
2: the El Royale. I can't remember the title of it, but they had a scene exactly like that in that movie. It was bad times at the El Royale. Yeah. And bad time. Battle at
1: the, the first uh, consonant, correct? Yeah.
2: But again, that was that setting. It's It's a hotel and there's this whole corridor running behind where you could look in on any room. Yeah, And what was it? Vacancy is another one, obviously, you think of.
1: Yep. Vac- I, I, I didn't see Vacancy for the longest time, and I finally saw it just a few years ago. I love that movie. It's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I really like that movie a lot. Now, another one that I know is very contentious with people, but it does, I believe, somewhat tie into this the idea of the motel, which I feel is definitely highway to hell adjacent, because it'd be off the highway to hell, is Identity. I love that movie. I did too, but everybody- hated that movie. There it is. There it is. And it's the ending, right? You hate it because the ending. Oh, I loved it.
3: Hated that movie. Because the ending, right? It was not only the ending. I was a fan. I really enjoyed Identity. I, I like
1: that movie too.
3: Wolfman's wrong. <laughs> I'm willing to revisit it. I'll say okay. that. I don't think okay. I saw it since it was in the theater. So okay. I will revisit it. But yeah. I remember loathing that film. Wow. That's that's a strong words.
2: I tell you what I saw it twice. And even knowing what happens at the yeah. end, it didn't bother me because I thought it was kind of interesting now because you could sort of repiece things yeah. and see that. Oh, OK, well, this is why they're saying this. And look, OK, it starts to come together a little bit more. So even seeing it, even seeing it a second time, I thought it uh, had, had
3: plenty of value. And what about the wrong turn films? For me, those were just kind of throwaway, straight-to-video type of movies. I just didn't really, I don't know, the first one never really sucked me in. I didn't even bother watching sequels to that film, but I know that they're very popular now. And I think Mm -hmm. the younger generation, it's a little bit younger than me, especially, you know, really latched on to those because they were bigger horror films for them in their youth. Sure. I mean, I liked I liked wrong, I liked the first wrong turn, but I didn't
2: like it to the point that I wanted to. I didn't check out any of the sequels either. I've only ever really seen the first one,
1: and I am also with you guys. I loved the first one, if I'm being honest. Like I remember, I saw at least two, maybe even three times in the theater. I, I mean, I know I saw it a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved it. I loved the fact that, uh, you know, uh, I was a big Buffy fan. So Eliza Dushku starring in it, Jeremy Sisto, who I was a huge fan from the movie May, which if you've ever seen May with Angela Bettis, love that movie, Lucky McKee. Mm. Um, it, it, it was sort of prime real estate for me. And I just, I loved it. Um, I, oddly enough, never saw any of the sequels as well. It wasn't because I, you know, like, ah, I don't care. It was just, I never got to them. And I did hear that as they went on, like often sequels do. <laughs> right <laughs> that, that it just got to the point of absurdity and pointlessness so i just never bothered by that point but now
2: this is this is one that's not even at a hotel how about rest stop oh yeah 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 i don't it know that i saw rest stop that's oh that's a rest you're on the road and that's obviously at a, at a rest stop yes and, and a lot of it takes place in a, in a like a bathroom if i'm not mistaken Man, or that rest sort of stops- setting
3: are freaky to me. They though. are.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, they're very freaky. How about the ones? Because we in in Florida, I don't know if you guys had the same thing. Where at ours, where it'll say it'll have this big sign that'll say "No nighttime security on duty," and it's like <laughs> the fact that wow. they gotta let you know that, <laughs> and yeah. you're like, "Uh oh, <laughs> exactly. I don't want to go to the bathroom this bad." So it's one
3: yeah. of those places, you know, you pull up to it at night, and there's uh, maybe one other car there, and you're like, yes. mm, "I'll uh, wait yeah. for another car." I'll tell maybe you what. Here.
2: Uh, as as you're heading down the Jersey Shore, uh, you're on the Garden State Parkway. You are in the middle of the barrens, but in you know this just this this road just cuts straight through it. They have rest stops like in the middle where people come in one way and the other way can mm-hmm. can access it. And I think there's like one light or something there. And like I said, it's in the middle of the barrens. I don't stop there in the day. There's no way in <laughs> hell I'm going to stop there at night.
1: Yeah, I'm really surprised there aren't more rest area horror movies when you think about it. Because it seems like on on the face of it, it's such a simple location. And maybe that's the problem. The problem is like getting enough of a story to go around that one area. Yeah. But it, it does. I always feel like the if you took the sniper idea and mixed it with a rest area.
2: That was a real story in the Northeast um, years ago that. People were getting out, they were heading into uh, not just rest stops, but restaurants. They were, he- you know, they were on 95. That's like uh, where this situation happened, where people were walking in and they were taken out by like one of those, I don't know, what, like an exploding bullet to the head. They're just walking and boom, nobody could ever figure out where this came from, um, you know, who was doing this. And there were uh, several people at several different rest stops in different areas that were just shot through the head. It was never ever the same area where these people were getting out. They eventually found out that it was a guy training a, a teenager to do this. And he had it so that his car seat would fold down. Oh, is this the old Washington
1: this, DC sniper guy? It might've been that yeah, it might've been yeah. in
2: Washington, but it wasn't just in Washington. It was in different yeah. areas along 95 that this happened. They were out traveling, doing this. People are getting out to go in and enjoy breakfast while they're on the road. And, Boom! One of them is yeah. shot through the head, and yeah. everyone else. You know, it, it was
3: really a scary situation.
1: Yeah, I remember when that happened.
3: Yeah, there was a movie in 2013 called Blue Caprice, and I think it's about that same. Yes, sport, I think you're right because
1: I think that's the car that they used. Yep,
3: I, I remember when that was going on, and
2: it's just because you think about that it can happen anywhere. You know, you're just walking uh, into a restaurant, and boom! Next thing you know, you're you're dead, or the person next to you is dead,
3: and And no idea where it came from. And just to let people know, Blue Caprice is classified as a biography crime drama, uh, not as a horror film or anything. Just give people the heads up on that. You know, another one that I really remember liking but I haven't revisited since it was in the theaters was Joyride. Have you guys watched Joyride much?
1: Yes, I loved that movie. I've seen it at least once, if not twice, and I loved it.
3: Yes. In my memory, it was one of the first things I ever st- saw Steve Zahn in. I remember just thinking, this guy is amazing. But as I looked back at his filmography, I was definitely familiar with him from Happy Texas before that, from Safe Men from suburbia that thing you do you do,
1: do. So, that's the one for me that thing you do i love that movie it's great but it was directed by john Dahl. i remember being aware of him going into that movie that may have been one of my motivating factors for i wanted to see it but i do remember enjoying the hell of it because it was very dual-esque in a way yeah. uh if the guy in the truck actually talked to you <laughs> right. but but there was a, there was some good humor in it and i and i just remember even the build-up to the climax just being so intense and you know, it it was, I thought it was a very effective thriller. So I I would definitely recommend you check that out. Another movie I did want to mention, and I have, I know I saw it, we rented it and I just had the vaguest memory of it, which is dead end from 2003. Did you? Oh yes. I actually am a big fan of that movie. Yeah. I remember liking like in my memory, but the only thing I remember is I remember Lynn Shay. She's the only thing I remember about that movie for some Mm -hmm. reason. And I do remember liking it. That's a French film, right? Yeah. And it was, it
2: didn't do anything in the theater, but it did like $77 million on video.
3: It's become like a big cult classic. And there was an American remake called windshield. that Jay and I reviewed on one of our Christmas horror episodes. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Now a movie Um, that I, I believe Josh might not be a huge fan of. I can't recall if Dave feels as I do, but I am a fan and I feel like it has to be mentioned. Because it's at least covering the killer car aspect of Highways to Hell, which is Maximum Overdrive.
2: Uh, I'm about mid-range on that. Okay. I'm, I am about a, I think I'm at about a, a five on that one. I can't say it's one of my favorites. I, that was the one that Stephen King directed.
1: Yes, it was. And the yeah. only one that Stephen King directed. The
2: only one that Stephen King directed. And Stephen King has come out and said it's the worst adaptation of one of his novels, which, <laughs> you know.
3: There's a new um, Blu-ray of that coming out this year. Oh, wow. We're yeah. pretty excited yeah. for
1: Oh, very cool. I will say this. I am not a fan of the phrase guilty pleasure, so I'm not going to call it that. It is a sentimental favorite. It is oh, a. Gosh, I I just, in I don't, you know, so this movie, it's on, I'm going to watch 15 to 20 minutes of it at least.
3: Mm-hmm. We covered that on one of our very first themed episodes, the siege narratives. Siege and, narratives, yeah. And uh, we covered that one along with Tremors, The Mist, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, Dave gave that one a five. He called it a cautionary rental. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Cautionary.
3: And I gave it a four and just called it a rental. so I, I would be willing to revisit that now with the new Blu ray coming out. I know as with most bad movies, they have their hardcore cult supporters and this right. movie is no different. There are people who love supposedly maximum overtime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: oh no, there uh, some people are big, you know, definitely big fans of it. And mm, yeah. and I do not I d I don't I don't consider it like I don't hate it. Obviously a five is, is middle ground for me. And it's, it's like take it or leave it type of, uh, scenario. I mean, it has, it has, its, it has a few moments in it. Um, and I think Stephen King had mentioned that he was like coked out of his mind when he was directing it. <laughs> um, and I think you can kind of tell a few times it's got a great soundtrack though.
1: Yes, it does. It has a great soundtrack. Yeah. Now, another, another, a modern day, I think a lot of people would consider classic that I have not seen. I'm being I'm being very forthright with, the, with these uh, admissions, which I think I may have revealed this on the crawl review as well, that I have not seen any other Aja movies. I okay. have never yeah, seen did, high you tension. You didn't mention that. OK, so I I but from everything I understand about high tension, this would be at least somewhat of a highway to hell road kind of movie. somewhat right? yeah. somewhat somewhat. Yeah
2: somewhat. Although it's uh, the, I don't where, know. where the hell is coming from is not necessarily.
1: Yes. I realize that because apparently uh, that's the other thing is that unfortunately that's been spoiled for me. So yes, I know where you're going with that, but
2: there are a good number of scenes that take place on the, on the road or heading out to this, you know, this, these other locations, but and it's, doesn't rural. Quite
1: it's very, it feels very isolated and rural. Right. Yeah. And
2: if you, but if you want to see an Aja film that does fit, definitely check out the Hills have eyes remake. I mean, okay. I know you're a big fan of the original. Yes. But I think the remake does it does it justice without being an absolute, I mean, there's a lot of similar elements to it. I mean, even right down to the family, but I still, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed um, that remake. Yeah, so if you get a chance, that I, I would be- I, would, I am. It
1: is very much on my, and again, that one actually literally came out the same year that my first son was born. And- I remember the time, I think I did, I was a little bit of the whole like, oh, they can't remake one of my favorite movies, you know, doing right. that thing. But over the years, I've mellowed out a bit on that. And I've heard you say that. I've heard other people say that. I, uh, I'm i a, a big fan of um, Emily de Ravine from Lost and of course yeah. Ted Levine and Kathleen Quinlan. I mean, there's some great people in this movie. And especially since my crawl experience was so phenomenal, I am absolutely going to check this movie out post-takes mm-hmm. like as soon as possible.
2: Yeah.
3: I do want to let listeners know that we talked about the Hills have eyes back on HMP episode 13, very early on. And, Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I, as long as we're making admissions, I have to say, (laughs) I don't have to say it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it is. There are two classic horror films that I know both of you guys love, uh, that are both (laughs) key to this particular episode. That I just I don't know, they don't quite do it for me. One of them is the Hills Have Eyes. <laughs> <And gasps> wow. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a classic, I know it's a musty film. It just is kind of off putting to me. And yeah, it's a horror movie. It should be off putting. But you know, and the other one is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. These are just <gasps> not they're wow. just not my cup of tea. So
1: Which should we I, let the the cat out of the bag now that unfortunately you were not able to join David and myself for that review, so
3: it was due to my schedule that I could not join you for that. review that is true. Again, that is I am true. literally parked on the side of the, ver- the road right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking here at our reviews and Dave gave the Hills have eyes an eight and said, buy it. I gave it a 6.5 and called it a must see rental.
1: The original or the, or the remake. The original. Okay. The original. Okay. okay. So
3: okay. I'm, I'm admitting that it's a classic and I, and I do understand that intellectually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. I don't know what it is, but I just don't, enjoy the vibe of those films. Let me know? ask you, you know? let me ask
1: you this cuz I think you're somebody who will appreciate this level of it and maybe you've already gone down this road so it may not it may be all for naught. But yeah. with Hills have eyes, have you ever may track down some of the interviews or you know whether you've listened to them or read them about Craven and what he was really going for with the dynamics of the families and everything? like the real you you could see his being a philosophy professor yeah. on full display, I feel like, in that movie. And when you really begin to analyze it from that intellectual point of view, it really is fascinating that what he was trying to do.
3: Yeah, and then you've talked about it a bit here on this episode, and I, and I really appreciate that. The kind of reversal of what our expectations are um, is fascinating. And I think as you get into The Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well, this is honestly, it's something I need to just work on on myself in our more enlightened era that we're currently in. Um, I think it's just the freaks, to be honest. Yeah, nuts. like yeah. there's the the cannibalism always makes me a little queasy, which is interesting since I am descended f- directly from cannibals, but <laughs> 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 but you know the the freaks is 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 troubling to me, and it's ju- and that's interesting I think to think about because you know our friend Andred, who was on here a few episodes ago has talked about you know, the way that we demonize the crippled in horror films. And I, it's interesting though. Yeah. It is, it is just something that I think from a young age, it's that uncanny nature of it just kind of turns my stomach a little bit. And it's something that, uh, I want to be more aware of kind of, because, you know, you have some amazing folks, obviously who, are involved in what is Michael Berryman, for instance oh michael Berryman, a, is so yeah, great beautiful human being and um but you know in the context of that film it's just so troubling you know yeah yeah i know and then look i think
1: i get it like i get i mean i think that's sort of the point right i mean i think they right. intentionally use uh people or at least put them in makeup to create this uh feeling that of them being not I mean they're human, but they're they're off, and there's just something not right. And uh, I mean that's obviously done on purpose. I mean a movie like Wrong Turn. I mean that they sort of take that and amp it up to eleven with with the sort of a theoretical inbreeding or whatever has been going on in that scenario. So I get what you're saying, I, and I get why you find it disturbing. I mean the way I look at Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And, and other movies, I think that uh, people feel very uncomfortable with, like the exorcist obviously has a reputation as well, where it's just a movie that can be so upsetting to a lot of yeah. people. And there's just a, a darkness there. And they, it's, I, and I don't know what it is like for me, why I feel this almost catharsis when I watch them in, 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 mm-hmm. in the sense of just like, if nothing else, thank God I'm not there. <laughs> I mean, thank, right? you know, I am not in that scenario. And I don't know what it is because even when I was, it, it, obviously, we've already, we haven't, we have yet to do the review for Chance of Massacre, so I'm not going to go there. But I will say that watching at this time, there were some things that I really was trying to observe in how I felt as I was watching these scenes play out. And I thought to myself, what is wrong with me that, <laughs> that I'm finding, because it's, it plays like a documentary. I mean, it truly plays like, reality at times and almost because the acting from some not I mean Marilyn Burns aside I think she's fantastic especially in that last half hour but the other there's other people and just that they sort of do that thing that they did a lot of 70s films I think or even 60s where they would go and film locals and have them yeah. say lines so it, it it's not good acting but it feels so real and and so the whole movie has this rawness and this realness to it and I'm thinking why what is it about this that I feel connection to and who knows, maybe it's a Southern thing. I don't know, <laughs> but I, just, <laughs> I, I do know that I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I get the yeah. off putting nature. I, Cause I mean, I have other movies that I feel that way about that. I, for, for me, it tends to be certain things like certain acts, like, like graphic sexual assault. And by the way, I mean, I'm not saying that if you're, if you can watch a movie that has that, I mean, first I appreciate last house on the left. It bothers me up one side and down the other. And I don't like rush to watch it whenever I can, but I do appreciate it for what it is.
2: Right. Yeah. No, I I agree. And I mean, you want to talk about filming local, something like uh, deliverance.
1: Yes. That's
2: where it really, really bothers me to that point of, of, you know, when the, and you, you know, that these people are local to that area. And I know that the, the kid who played the banjo, I think he had read with somebody that they just sort of stumbled upon. Yep. That's where it really gets to to me when, when it's to, to like that level of it. I, I had a hard time with uh, certain scenes in, in, well, for other reasons, there are some scenes in that that really sure. bother me, but it, right. even the ones with the locals were just very yeah. creepy. You know, just Yeah, it's right,
1: creepy. Exactly. There is something, it's not even the, I mean, obviously the violence and the things that happen in the movie, but it's just the ambiance the atmosphere back to that idea of like the southern gothic there's just something about that feeling that gives you the freaking heebie-jeebies
3: yeah Mm -hmm. and i don't know what it is like you know i think for me it's a lot of my movie watching and any genre has a lot to do with the vibe like the the feeling and so i you know a lot of that has to do with the setting like and, and things like the locations and the costume design and the sets always matter a lot to me so like just thinking about it my top 10 horror films like the thing for instance or the lost boys the worlds that they create around those movies are so appealing to me they're kind of like worlds i want to live in even though they're horrific and terrible sure i I can really imagine kind of like wanting to settle into that and so it is a different level of horror than to think about a world like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's like the last place on earth you'd want to inhabit. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. like, sure. It's just so such a nightmare. And it's
2: such funny. A... I think I'm the opposite of that. I think I, I yeah. almost, that's the what, what, sort of because I don't want to live in the world of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's funny because the thing is one of my uh, yeah. top three I don't necessarily i don't want to live in that atmosphere either to be honest with you. <laughs> so it's almost like I a, it's, it's the opposite yeah I know I know you're you're, yeah. a, winter, you're a winter person I'm not a winter
3: person so I, can,
2: so I can understand that um but it's just the it's like it's it is it's like the opposite for me that um not that not that it appeals to me but that's that's what really what really gets to me uh, about a horror film and definitely about the Texas chainsaw massacre yeah, I mean that's one of those things. I don't even know if I want. I don't even know if I want to visit the shooting locations of that movie.
3: <laughs> right. <laughs> I hear that.
1: All right. You, you want to wrap up?
3: Yeah, we good. Do you guys think of any other big omissions? I,
1: I hope not. We yeah. covered
3: uh, a lot more than. Yeah. This. Okay. Cool.
1: All right. So that wraps up our discussion of Highway to Hell horror movies. And uh, now let's go into our tribute to the great, late Rutger Hauer.
0: I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the of Gate. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in rain,
3: time to die. I love Rucker. How are you guys? He was yeah, one of those definitely. actors who just um, gets to a deeper level, I think, in his performance than a lot of actors do. And I've, and I've heard a lot of people even say they f- think he's a bad actor, which is really shocking to me. But I think it is because he is a little strange. He's not. He doesn't do what a lot of other actors do. He goes places. He's kind of has a, that method actor quality to him where he really seems crazy when he's playing a crazy person like he's Mm -hmm. he takes it a step further than most performers are willing to take it and obviously blade runner is one of the great sci-fi classics and his performance is one of the defining things about that film and i just think it's so incredible but really the first movie that I knew him from in my life and that really, I was raised on was lady. Hook.
1: Oh boy. Oh, that's a,
2: that's a good
3: one. I, I love yeah. lady. Hook. I do too. Uh, I, I, I really be, be, too.
1: because I love Rucker Hauer and they're going to talk about several movies of his that we do love. I'm going to politely step back from this point in the conversation <laughs> 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 because I am not going to allow the snark to seep, seep into this tribute to this great person and actor you guys fan you fanboy out
2: (laughs) yeah no i enjoyed i enjoyed lady hawk too and and he was he was a big reason why but i mean i I thought everything about that movie was uh yeah uh, was great michelle pfeiffer was really good and even matthew broderick he wouldn't you know it, it, it seems like a little uh when i especially when i read that they were originally thinking of dustin hoffman to play the matthew broderick part Okay. Oh, I
3: think Matthew Broderick's
2: fantastic. I agree. Personally. I agree. I think he did it. I think he was uh, I think he was fine in it. No, I, there's just something. It's just sort of a sort of a magical fantasy movie that uh, that really appeals to me. Yeah, um, I think the first time I saw Rutger Hauer was in Nighthawks with um, uh, Stallone oh, wow, yeah. and, and Billy D Williams, and he played just a just a real bastard in that movie. So that's what I always <laughs> sort of associated with Rutger Howard for for a while. Was just that really evil sort of uh, villain, Um, and I think it was his first American movie. I did eventually see. um, I was talking to Joel briefly about it, the Turkish Delight, which was his screen debut, (laughs) and whatever whatever country that was from, it um, the Netherlands. It's got the Netherlands, yeah, the Netherlands, because it was it's a uh, Paul Verhoeven movie. He directed it. That is, I mean, it's a step i I said it's a step down from like 42nd street porn and it's it's not a big step down you know it's kind of a smaller step down uh from that and and his performance in that is he's really strong in it from what I, i had read somewhere that that turkish delight was like for the netherlands what gone with the wind was here was a very big book in that country and when they made it into a movie it was kind of a big deal Kind of showed you the differences too, going with the wind and Turkish Delight. Sure, um, he's he's excellent in that, and you just I just uh, even even like the little sort of aside movies, the the Wanted Dead or Alive. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed him in 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 that movie where he was supposedly a descendant of the Steve McQueen character from the westerns, and he's playing that that same sort of character.
1: We covered that on Retro Movie Geek.
2: Oh yeah, it's a it's a fun movie. It really is, and and he's a big he's a big reason why. And also the fact that Gene Simmons plays the, uh, (laughs) uh, from kiss plays the, uh, plays the bad guy in that movie too. is was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me though, the, the, uh, the scene is, is just that rooftop scene in blade runner, uh, that speech that he gives. And and when I was a kid, I, I, I really liked blade runner. I, I liked it. But as I got older, that last speech he gives has so much more weight when when you oh, when you gosh. have like a little bit more of worldly experience behind you, yes. and you realize the the weight of what he's saying, and it just it really does move you, and that whole gone like like tears and rain, which it was all it was ad libbed, and and that's the really amazing part about it. Yeah, um, it, it really it hits you on a on a different level when you, when you get when you as you get older.
1: Yeah, and and I would like to add that. For me, I, and I think the reason with Lady Hawk, I didn't see it as a kid. I saw it as an adult. Jason Grooms and I covered it on Forgotten Flicks. He loved it as a kid. Uh, and I'm not a huge fantasy guy. I just, it's not okay. my cup of tea. It's not my, so I think to be full disclosure, that's the main reason. But that being said, for me, I think The Hitcher may be my earliest introduction to him. So I, because mm. I, I think I saw this probably, in a, it, it was, I feel like when I first saw The Hitcher, which I know we're not, we'll probably save this for the review, but. I was maybe in my early teens and I think it was on a local TV station. So it was edited for TV, but Mm-mm. I rem- I still remember being just creeped out beyond belief by a couple of key elements and scenes in that, in that movie. But he was mesmerizing to me. I mean, he just, he's a, a, an astonishing performer. Um, and then of course, obviously his role in blade runner, which I also saw, I was still probably my early, you know, late yeah, 12, 13, 14. I feel like it's when I first saw blade runner. So, I I was always familiar with him. And then my dad took me to see Split Second, which I don't know if you remember that one uh, with Kim Cattrall. It's the one where <laughs> it's somewhat in the future and England because of glo- and they actually refer to global warming. And it was and it came out in 92. But because of global warming, uh, uh, England is, I guess, it's, or London specifically is starting to get flooded out. And this creature, this alien-like creature is going on a killing spree and he has to come in. And again, it's a movie that is a is a really, really bad movie. But it's like so bad it's good and it's because of him. <laughs> it's because of him. And, uh, mm-hmm. and there was a couple TV movies he did that I loved, love, love, love. Did you ever see Wedlock? And it also went by the name Deadlock. Mm-hmm. Yes. Remember that one where, uh-huh. you, where they where they would put the the necklace around their heads and they the man and the woman they had to be within proximity of their head would explode. I love that one. And he was in another one that was a lot more serious than that called Fatherland, which was this alternate history. Uh, I believe it was an HBO movie as well. Did you guys ever see that one? No, I've not seen that one. I think you guys would dig it because if, and it's been a long time I'm pulling this from the memory banks, but he plays and which is of course, perfect casting uh, from his look. He plays an SS officer and it is if Germany and Hitler had won the war and they, and it takes place in the sixties. So it's like 20 something years. I think they're getting ready to celebrate Hitler's 80th birthday or something. And, oh, wow. and they basically, he's this SS officer who's also, a, I don't know if he's an SS officer. He's a detective. I seem to remember him being in that type of uniform, and he, you know, is a, is a proud German and, and all this stuff. But he basically begins to discover that there was this thing that was covered up, and it's the Holocaust, and that it's going to be completely buried. And so it's them uncovering, and, and that, that's kind of it's a fascinating uh move, like a alternate history That uh, sounds kind of movie. really
2: interesting yeah, it really it,
1: does yeah i think you guys would dig it it's a really cool movie but yeah, even stuff like that or cross worlds which is like a straight to video sci-fi movie there's a, a lot of these um was it uh, blood of heroes have you ever seen that no, from, no i i think it's from 90s i feel like it was early 90s maybe late 80s i'm i'm going to have to cheat here just for a second on the, on the imdb yeah blood of heroes 89 i i it's a I'll just read you the quick little IMDb premise on this sucker, but it's in the future where most of mankind and technology is wiped out. Six people travel from place to place playing a brutal form of football with a dog skull. They hope one day to play in the league in a city.
3: (laughs) That sounds terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Rucker,
1: Rucker, Howard, Joan Chin and Delroy Lindo star in this movie.
3: Wow. The film I would love to hear you review on Retro Movie Geek is Blind Fury. Have you guys ever reviewed that? We did. We did
1: yeah a long time ago a long time ago we did do blind fear it was that might have been though um
2: not a retro movie geek that was forgotten flicks it may yeah, have been forgotten
1: was... flicks and i hadn't seen it before that but it of course it also has terry o'quinn in it which at the time i didn't realize and then i saw it I was like oh my god terry
3: Quinn's in this so i love that movie That's it's a so great movie. terrible That's it's like a fun f- movie the typical like for me like sleepover yes. movie that you yes. end up watching and be like what are we watching <laughs> yeah but it's a fun <laughs> movie I love that movie. Yeah. Even movies oh, like man. surviving the game. Right. Oh, that is a terrible movie.
1: <laughs> but I'm saying, but he in it, he, it's like, he always
3: transcends. Yeah. Even when
1: everything around him is, is not what a great it,
3: look though. That beard and vest and stuff in that film, not, not
1: <laughs> the best. <on> <laughs> really? You're, you're going to throw, you're going to throw around that, that sort of accusation that the beard, it, the best.
3: <laughs> I mean, listen, yeah, I know I'm a guy <laughs> with a beard and a vest. I know. <laughs> too hot for a vest, so. Uh, oh, true, true. i are not going to peg me with that right now. Um, just, I want to quickly speak to my own personal <laughs> experience with this guy. So um, you bring up the Dutch connection. He did a film called Soldat van Oranje, which is based on a famous Dutch novel. Um, and then, you know, it was turned into a 1977 film, also known as Soldier of Orange. That was, I think, one of his first big uh, films where people really internationally kind of knew who he was. That was also a film by Paul Verhoeven. Um, but yeah, so so Ruckerhauer is Dutch. He's at least he's from the Netherlands, but he's from actually Friesland, which is a smaller area inside the Netherlands. It's comparable to what you talk about with Catalonia inside Spain. Um, mm-hmm. Friesland is like the smaller region. The, it feels independent, how they have their own history and language, but they're within the borders of the Netherlands. Anyway, Rucker Howard is from there. His horse that he rides in Lady Hawk is a Frisian stallion, and they're really famous horses because they are so highly trained and skilled in the way that they walk. If you watch Lady Hawk again, Joel, <laughs> keep an eye on that horse. It's an amazing <laughs> horse, and it's so beautiful in the way that it moves, and it's because it's this highly trained. Friesian stallion. So I lived in the Netherlands for two years and I lived uh, about a two-hour bicycle ride from Ruckerhauer's house. And so one day when I had nothing going on, I thought, I'm going to ride my bike to Ruckerhauer's house. <laughs> so I want to see where this guy lives. And we ended up finding his house and it was just cool. I was <laughs> I was a fan of Lady Hawk and, and Blade Runner. <laughs> and I'm uh, this 19 year old kid outside his house on my bicycle like trying to peek through the hedges to see his home but yeah that it was just a he was a guy that i just always thought was super cool years later when i started working in film not even that many years later now that i think about it it a couple years later (laughs) when i started working in film um i was working in the props department is that correct no i was working in transportation on this film called moving McAllister, and who was in the film in a couple of scenes but rucker howard he's the McAllister from the title of the film. And he just has a small cameo in the movie, but I just, I, it was so overjoyed that I got to work on this movie with Rucker Howard early on in my career. Later, there was this other movie called humble pie that I worked on in the props department. He was supposed to be in that film as well, but the last minute had to cancel. So there's this whole scene in that movie where they're going to this acting class with Rucker Howard, the main act, the main character in humble Pie* is this aspiring actor. And he's going to go to this acting workshop with Rucker Howard, and it's like this big pivotal moment in the film. And then Rucker Howard had to drop out of the movie, so you just see them kind of go into the into the studio for the for the <laughs> workshop and come back out, and like that was great. Oh wow! <laughs> so so goes independent film, but um, right? Yeah, it was pretty funny. But yeah, he was a guy that I just had an ending love for, especially and one we haven't talked about yet, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a major touchstone for me as a kid. And so uh, that was one that me and my friends grew up loving and watching it over and over and over again on repeat with The Lost Boys. It was probably on the same VHS tape recorded from television that we watched over and over and over again.
1: <laughs> yeah, he, he is... Awesome. He really... I I really find it interesting that you said that some people think of his acting as not great because...
3: Well, you can see why it would be considered over the top or kind of weird, but to me, it's just he's all in. You know, I I think you can imagine I can imagine him being compared to someone like Nicolas Cage or someone just who's just really. Yeah, but I think the difference being
1: is that a Nicolas Cage. No offense, Mr. Cage. I think when he goes over the top and unhinged, it's almost out of control. I always feel like with Howard, there's this control there that there's a yes, it goes over the top. But it's, I don't know. It's like there's there is a control. There's a there is a, yeah. a an intentionality to every yes. movement and, and idea. And I just I think that and I and we'll get into this more in the Hitcher review, which we'll be getting to here shortly. Just really watching him this time, and I mm-hmm. hadn't seen the movie in quite a long time, even though I love it and I, it's in my top twenty. In fact, it almost was in my top ten. I, I love that movie so much. And but just watching him, I mean. The looks and just the the looks in the eyes. And it's like, you could read it in so many different ways. I just, I I think the guy is endlessly watchable and fascinating.
2: I agree. I'm looking at his filmography here. It's kind of interesting. I hope they got his scenes done. He's going to be in a, the TV miniseries of a Christmas Carol. And he is playing the ghost of Christmas future. Hmm. Oh, wow. I would, you know what? Now that you say that, I would kill to see him play Scrooge. Oh yeah. He would, he would make a great Scrooge. Yes. He would have made a great Scrooge.
1: Yes, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to note that on, at least according to, uh, MDBA, he has 173 credits. <laughs> that wow. is incredible. That is amazing. And it looks like he actually, not only was he born in the Netherlands, that's where he passed away.
3: Oh, wow, that's
1: awesome. Yeah, so it wasn't wow, like, you know, yeah. he was in some, you know, L.A. in some hotel, you know, or dealing with, you know, being on a film set. It looks like he was actually in his home country. So that's pretty Beach,
2: cool. Beechterwag,
3: it looks like Yeah,
1: I, I have no idea how to pronounce that. Let's defer to... Beechterzwag, uh, yeah.
3: So that's that's for, definitely gosh. not right. <laughs> let, me, yeah. let me look it up. <laughs>
1: yeah. B-E-E-T-S. I would have said Beechterzwag, too. I, I Yeah, that's not too bad.
3: Yeah, Beechterzwag.
1: Beechterzwag, okay.
3: okay. Beechterzwag.
1: Mm. yeah you know you're treating me like peter treats me <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> no no that's not how you said i also we should probably mention hobo with a shotgun and channel zero for the genre film fans out there those were definitely major contributions and if you haven't seen his season of channel zero um he really had a major hand in the way that that season played out i saw an interview with uh, the executive producer of channel zero. And they basically said, yeah, Rucker came in with all these ideas and like seriously changed the course of how they had planned to do that season. So wow. Worth checking out. Yeah.
1: I, uh, I guess then our, our, our hearts and and thoughts are out to the Howard family and his friends and everybody who knew him personally, but obviously to all his fans, the world over, you will be missed. Good, sir. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Definitely.
1: All right, so with that, that is our tribute to Rucker Hauer. We will now go into our feature review of The Hitcher, 1986.
0: The moment he stops, the terror starts.
3: I swear I didn't kill those people. I got preyed by this
0: guy who picked up Hitchhiker. Do you believe me? No! My mother told me never to do this. What are you looking at me like that for? The terror starts the moment he stops. The Hitcher. Rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. The
3: Hitcher is a 1986 film. It is directed by Robert Harmon and written by Eric Redd. and stars primarily C. Thomas Howell and Rucker Hauer. I also have some appearances from some other well-known actors like Jennifer Jason Leigh, of course, and Jeffrey DeMunn, who's great as always. But um, yeah, this is really a two-hander by and large. And, you know, it's it's an interesting film as we talk about horror on the road. It's one of those that was always something we were going to cover. We had always said for years on the show, eventually we'll do a horror on the road section, and on that episode, we will cover The Hitcher. And unfortunately, it took the untimely passing of Mr. Howard to get around to that, and I feel bad about that. But this is definitely something we've been wanting to do for a long time as a horror on the road film, I think we've mentioned it in the theme discussion a couple of times. This is kind of the quintessential horror on the road movie. Mm-hmm. It really mm-hmm. has everything you'd expect to see in a film like this. And is a great film to kind of define the subgenre. you know, it's, it's, it's a, a very underappreciated film. I think by and large in, um, you know, in the mainstream. And I think that's because it has the, framework of a slasher film to some degree but really you know it has kind of a classic mistaken man type of movie framework as well Mm -hmm. and as we talk about you know this highway to hell it has this feeling of someone who's meeting the devil at the crossroads yes you know Mm -hmm. and and how are they going to deal with this interaction with the devil that just won't let them go won't not let them be and you know, as Joel mentioned in our tribute to Mr. Howard, his performance is so strong here and it's so subtle at times in, in a film that, you know, he, it's a crazed character. He managed to, ha- just to have just as he does in Blade Runner, just this off the wall character who manages to have these really quiet, subtle moments that are so impressive as a viewer and just really impactful as well. But mm-hmm. basically to get back to uh, the nuts and bolts of things, we'll go to the IMD premise on this film. And it says, A young man, Thomas E. Hill, who escapes the clutches of a murderous hitchhiker, Rucker Hauer, is subsequently stalked by the hitcher and framed for his crimes. So this is one of my favorite types of films. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, you know, we've talked about, first of all, the types of horror films where um, you're id- is essentially murdering people on your behalf. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is not exactly this, but it's related to this where um, there's someone who you're closely related to and they're killing people and it's out of your control. And you probably ultimately are going to be blamed for what they're doing. (laughs) I love that setup for a horror film.
2: And this one does it awesome. I mean, it it really does. Uh, This one, it's that Hitchcockian thing. With with the wrong man accused, you know Hitchcock Mm -hmm. did that several times, but I think even Hitchcock would cringe over what poor C. Thomas Howell gets accused of, and and the and just the level of what's dumped on him in this movie, and the and the sheer glee that Rutger Hauer's character takes from from causing this this havoc. I mean, he is smiling throughout this movie with what he's well, doing. Some of that story.
3: reminded me of like strangers on a train, for instance, like mm-hmm. it really brought up a lot of Hitchcock for me rewatching this with you. You know, cause again, like Joel, I think I saw this the first time when I was probably like in sixth grade or something. So it's been a long time and to revisit this and with a lot more cinema under my belt to compare it to, yeah. I think you're right, Dave. I think there's a lot of Hitchcock here and I, I don't know that it's, um, intentional but it but it's just as effective right know? right and the character is so strong that
2: that that hitcher that even the scenes he's not there it's it's almost like it has that halloween and i'm only comparing this to halloween for one reason and one reason only you know when michael myers is not on screen you are tense you are say where is this guy what is going on <laughs> right so that when michael myers is on screen there's a sense of relief, even though he's doing horrible things that now you know where he is. That's the same with this guy, with Rutger Howard's character. You're like, where is this son of a yes. bitch? Yes. And when you finally see him, you're like, finally, okay, there he is. I got him in my sights. But he's hanging so heavy over this movie. He's yeah. just looming over it that you are on the edge of your seat saying, Where is this guy? Is he in the next room? Is he under that table? He could be either place. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or he could be two miles away, but yet still has, is still controlling this situation.
1: Dave, you are not wrong. That is, I I actually, the Halloween idea, it had been a while since I'd seen the movie, but at least I'm going to guess five, six years maybe, but I've seen it enough times that I, I remembered most of the beats and everything that happened. But this time in particular, I don't know what it was, but I even at some point said to my wife, I get a Halloween vibe and I don't know exactly why I get a Halloween. I think you articulated it very well. Like as you said all that, I'm like, yes, that's what it is. It's that his presence is so pervasive throughout the whole movie that you get that sense. And then on top of that, much like Halloween has that element of the supernatural, but it's is it supernatural? Is it not? it's like, it's just right. there. It's under the surface. This movie also has that because I, I, without giving anything away, but there's a moment where a character says a name and there's no way that the hitcher could hear it. And the way he reacts to it as if he did hear it, is that mm-hmm. oddly like what, how could he, you know, but it's that it's like a connection. Like they have this connection between the two of them. And in fact, I would even go so far as to argue that, yes, he smiles and he seems to be obviously a sadist who enjoys doing what he's doing, but there's also, and maybe I am wrong in picking this up, but this melancholy and a sadness to him that I I couldn't quite tell whether he wanted Jim Halsey, like his goal was to get him to kill him. Like he, and not just, not just because he wants to die but because he wants to turn this so-called this seemingly pathetic kid who was begging and pleading for his life at the beginning, but then showed a modicum of gumption to knock him out of the car to save himself, which I think is what trips the hitcher into saying, Oh yeah, no, this guy, this is, this one's worth going after. It's almost as if he wants to turn him into a killer as well huh. and to see if yes. he could push him into that. And, 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 you know, whether he does or not, I shall not say, but I am. I, I just I got this because there's moments like there's a key scene that when I saw this movie for the first time, like I said, I think it was on network type TV with commercials and cutting everything out. But there's a certain scene that if you've seen this movie, you know what scene I'm talking about that the whole time you're watching going, oh, please, God, cut away. Please God cut away. Do not let this, you know, you know what scene yes. I'm talking about. And as a yeah. kid, I, and of course, cause they cut to commercial and I was like, oh man, I can never watch this uncut. <laughs> like I, right. I can never, I, cause I know this, this is going to go, this is going to be something I can't handle. And then of course I finally did see it. And I'm like the fact that they handled it the way they did, but just the way that whole scene plays out, you could take it as John Ryder is getting off on this, tormenting this kid. I yeah. I don't know I don't think I read the scene that way this time I read it more like he's wonder he wants the kid to kill him he was and the fact that he won't he yeah. he's not he's he wants he's so pathetic that he would want to even save this girl that he barely knows and he's so disappointed it's like this father that's disappointed that his son can't do that one thing that'll make him a man
3: you know what I mean yeah yeah
1: I think I
2: think
3: you know there's there. I looked up Ebert's review of this film because I thought. It would be interesting to, you know, see what he had said about it as, you know, and hopefully send it over to Joel for a retro review, which I am actually sending you a, a clip here. Joel.
1: hundred to... bucks says he hated it.
3: <laughs> yeah, he did. But he saw some <laughs> things that you're talking about, Joel. He said he sees it as an allegory, and he thought that was the best part of the film. And he actually points out something really interesting. the The film starts and ends with the exact same sound. sound of a match lighting and Mm. at the beginning of the movie it's rucker howard who lights the match and at the end of the movie it's thomas c howell who lights the match. yeah and there's is some sort of relationship and and translation there between those characters that ebert thought was the most interesting thing happening in the film but um thought unfortunately they did not focus on that he thought was so interesting but as you can imagine, yep. because the film didn't live up to Ebert's expectations, he pretty much hated this movie. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I've, I've learned to accept that uh, Mr. Ebert often lambasts many movies that I love. So uh, you want me to read real quick here a few of his lines?
3: Yeah, let's hear
1: it. Okay, so we've got, on its own terms, this movie is diseased and corrupt. I would have admired it more if it had found the courage to acknowledge the real relationship it was portraying between Howell and Rutger. That's interesting that he chose the last name and first name. Uh, but no, it prefers to disguise itself as a violent thriller. And on that level, it is reprehensible. Wow! wow. Now, can, can I make a point here? And I just, I'm not going to do this and turn this into a bash Ebert hour.
3: But Why? we do he, that every time he
1: he, pr- <laughs> he prays and, and, I, and I'm, I, I get it. And I appreciate this movie, but he prays last house on the left because he saw the connection to Virgin spring. Right. Yeah.
3: Right.
1: Yet this movie that he at least acknowledges has this allegorical element to it. And if you really do pay attention, there is something deeper going on here is reprehensible. <laughs> really dude. Oh
2: man. I seem to remember him having a problem with the one scene. I think you're referring to Joel.
1: Yeah, and it, it is a disturbing, nihilistic, dark moment. But mm-hmm. again, if you read it more as the... Jo- First off, how else does that scene go? <laughs> There's right. no way right. other, other than a deus ex machina situation for that scene to go any differently than it does. And the fact is, it, it, as well as it can be handled, it was handled in good taste. I mean, it was not, you know, gratuitously handled, in my opinion. Right. So no, it was yeah.
3: disturbing as hell, but it was not, you know... so. I, I Which well, you know, and I think probably even some horror fans would say it would have been better if they had featured, you know. Right? Like, have, have either of, of, of you have,
1: have I have either of you seen the remake? Because I have no. not. I have not no, seen I the have remake. Not. Okay. I have not. And I have heard, without giving anything away, I have heard that it is committed to more <laughs> and, on the and gore that, and yes, yeah. yes. Okay. But but I think the movie itself is. I mean, it's definitely not without its blood and violence. I mean, it is a violent dark brooding movie and i think you know I, I do want to get on on the idea of uh eric red the writer who i'm a fan of i mean he wrote near dark he wrote a, a fun uh, little thriller i mean it's not perfect by any stretch but peter and i covered it a long time ago called cohen and tate starring roy scheider and adam baldwin if you guys have ever oh, checked wow. that out
3: i have not seen that one but i can definitely see the connection to near dark as you yeah. as you say that they feel like cousins these two movies you yes. know?
1: Yes, very much so, and you know they both have that road. Obviously, the road aspect is even in near dark, and it's almost like a pseudo-violent western in a way. And and yes. and, and I guess and but near dark is is a very obviously very violent movie. It has a little bit more of a maybe a humor to it, and that could be attributed to Paxton and his contribution as an actor. I don't know, but this movie <laughs> I feel like the, the Hitcher is humorless. It is. Got a real nihilistic, mean edge to it, for sure. But I, I think that it's more than that and that there is something definitely under the surface of it, and especially as it applies to the John Ryder character. Now, something I had never noticed before, and this might be reaching to the nth degree, <laughs> I have no idea. But when they put Halsey in the jail cell uh, before the scene where he gets out of the jail cell and all that stuff happens. There's graffiti on the wall behind him, right? All around him. Mm-hmm. One phrase I was able to read. It says, fascism is on the rise. That's the only one that was the most obvious hmm. to read. And, huh. and yeah, it kind of and it, here here's what I found fascinating. is like all of a sudden my mind started extrapolating all these ideas. And this I don't feel like I'm giving anything away because I'm just making all this up. The character John Ryder, as played by Rucker Hauer, is very much an Aryan dream right? And he's blonde hair, blue eyes, six feet. I mean, he's like the area. (laughs) Hence why they cast him in fatherland. Okay. He is that physical representation of that. When there's a moment where police discuss the fact that there's no birth certificate, there's no record, there's no nothing. It's this guy is a total ghost, right? What if he is almost like the offspring of, you know, the, the sort of legend of that certain Nazi war criminals escaped Argentina and he was, the son of one of them and was raised to be this brutal, sadistic so-and-so. And then oh, wow. is, is, you know, huh. again, I realize I might be reaching just a smidgen here, <laughs> but I just got this idea like, well, what if he comes from, I think that's why he'd be a ghost. I mean, if his right. dad was a ghost because he had, you know, escaped his war crimes and was hiding out in Argentina or wherever it was. And then he just ends up on the road. And this is how he's exacting out that same sort of mindset that led the Nazis to do what they did. So I, again, might be a bit of a stretch, but it was just kind of an interesting way I thought of looking at his character and the whole situation as to what was
3: happening. Is he playing the film as Adolf Hitler underneath? Is Rucker Hauer playing Adolf? <laughs> I felt it more and more Goebbels, but okay. uh, sure, we going-
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, but, but that
1: idea of taking this, this youth that seems incorruptible and corrupting him and turning him into a killer and, and honestly, and, and, and if we really get right down to it, there's an implication that long before the climax of this movie, that he may be responsible for the death of some people. Now they were doing, you know, they were essentially trying to stop him through lethal force, but you know, there's an implication, uh, during a, a car crash of sorts that the way it plays out that you could say, well, oh, yeah, well, you know, he just was maneuvering and trying to get around it, but there is this sense right. that you know he might be in a sense responsible for those deaths as well
2: i mean when you get to the whole thing of him being a ghost of no record or anything like that i mean you know it's
1: not completely without
2: merit. very imaginative
1: yeah well but it's not, yeah. com- it's, <laughs> not it's, a, it's all the without... cocaine i did before the show.
3: yeah right <laughs> <laughs> but um, i think it's a great fan theory Yeah, I think yeah, it's absolutely. a great fan theory yeah. absolutely I personally, I, I, I'm, I'm more interested in the, again, the allegorical, like if that saying is written on the wall, what could that mean for this character who is kind of supernatural? Who is kind of a phantom? If he, this character is just meant to represent an idea or an ideology, what is this character saying about that ideology? Mm-hmm. that to me is kind of where I thought you were going initially. Cause that is super fascinating. I'd like the literal translation of it too, though. And that's, and that's, that, that does take a lot more work, but I think you're right that it's there. Like all of the, everything you need to complete your theory is in the text. So, Mm -hmm.
1: well, and I I think to your point, it could even be just looked at as, as, is, especially if you want to look at it as there is a slight undercurrent of the supernatural involved just in the, in the same way, maybe with Halloween. I mean, maybe Halloween, it's even more so, but that maybe whatever he is, is representative of the very same evils that put that into the world, that put things like Nazism into the world. And so, right. you know, the, the idea of him having no humanity, we just like is his identity, his sense the sense of who he is as a person is not there. I mean, the fact that his name is John Ryder, and some people can say, Well, that's pretty on the nose, isn't it? But that's the point. It is. Because I, I like what you said at the top of this review, that idea of the devil at the crossroads, that he is literally the manifestation of that.
3: Right. He told you exactly who he was when he got yeah. in the car. <laughs> yeah. Literally, he does within the first two to three minutes of the movie. He's admitting to being a killer once yeah. he gets in the car.
1: Yeah. And But isn't it interesting to note that, and this is a bloody movie. This is not a movie that's afraid to have characters covered in blood. But it, it, when he gets in the car with Halsey, what does he tell him that he just did to the guy in the other car there's why and but then okay if that if he did that why isn't he drenched in viscera and and blood in
3: the rain okay okay okay
1: okay, that's fair but i say his clothes would still have some blood on them for the level of what he describes he did it's not like he just said i I stabbed him (laughs) you know i mean there was moments (laughs) like that where i thought it's interesting that you know there's nothing so is he lying did he just kill the guy he just again messing with halsey and just trying to get in his head
3: yeah i don't know but it's, it's a compelling character. And again, I just have to say, Rucker Hauer, the this diner scene, especially when they're sitting there and Thomas E. Howell thinks he has one up on him for a minute. A very frenzied Thomas E. Howell thinks he has one up on Rucker Hauer's character and they're sitting across from each other in this diner. Just an incredible scene on Howard's part. And, and Thomas E. Howell, too. He's completely committed. Yes. You know, he, he is kind of the Matthew Broderick of Lady Hawk. To, yeah. to Rucker Hauer in yeah. this, you know, he he is a young, less experienced actor, but he's giving it his all, and he's pretty damn good at what he's doing. But he is outshined a little bit by this veteran actor who is just, you know, on on the next level. So, yeah, but I think
1: that does work because considering who his character is and the relationship, yeah. it actually plays into it perfectly.
3: Yeah, but that scene, I think Rucker Howard is so phenomenal in that scene, and he's just doing so much with so little, like you were saying, Joel. Like. It is very subtle, you know, it's just a look, it's just the way his eyes move, you know, and these little kind of smirks and smiles that he gives them in scenes that are pretty high stakes, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just, uh, it, it feels devilish, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. as well.
1: Yeah. Dave, any, uh, other remarks about the hitcher?
3: Everything you said, I,
2: I think we've taken, I think we've taken hitcher apart really well. And then there's some things I'm to go back and watch it again. Joel to see if I could pick up on um, what you're talking about with, uh, with that relationship between these two. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense when you think of how Rucker Hauer with those smiles and mm-hmm. with that sort of it's part sadistic and it is part something else. And, and I, I want to go back and watch it and then keep that in mind.
1: Yeah. Almost like watching it where if, if you look at it from the perspective of he's trying to train this young man into yeah. being what he wants him to become. And, right. it, oh, and and there is something that if I didn't mention this, I would have been so upset with myself. There was one moment in this movie too, where I thought, you know what? This is the one actor aside from Hopkins. I could have seen playing Hannibal Lecter. Oh yeah. And doing an incredibly good job. Like I, I think I love Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. I'm not taking that away. You know, I, you know, please don't send hate mail. <laughs> I love, I love him. But I was there was a couple moments, and I'm thinking, oh my god, just because there's such an intelligence in his eyes, just like Hop, you know, you just there's and there's constantly something going on in there that you you sense that he's planning and 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 really plotting and figuring things out, and I just could see him with that icy blue eyes of his, just being a really effective Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, I agree. Want to go uh, ratings and reviews then for
3: The Hitcher? Sure. Yeah. I think the temptation for me of rating it kind of low is that it is a simple film. But I think as you stated, Joel, in comparing it to Halloween, it is just kind of sleek and streamlined and does everything it's trying to do. So I, I don't think you can take too much away from it in that regard. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Um, I... I think the performances are great. Again, I think this is a highly underrated film and I'm going to give this an 8.5. And I think it's a, uh, buy for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, um, if you enjoy this kind of highway to hell, horror on the road stuff we've been discussing and you like the idea of a film in which, you know, your character is essentially tortured by the devil. Then I think this is the movie for you. I think this, per- this song perfectly crystallizes this idea. We've been talking about this episode and it's one that I highly recommend everyone check out Dave. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm close.
2: I'm actually a nine out of 10 and I'm going to say this is a definite buy, um, you know, for a lot of the reasons we've already discussed, but Rutger Hauer in this, you, you watch this, you watch him in night Hawks, you watch him, uh, you, you do that almost as a double feature. And you can just see what he's almost like the perfect villain. And it's the way that he can portray them, the way he's almost having fun causing uh, chaos. He just really was excellent in this movie when even when he's not on screen, he's on screen because you are he's hanging like a cloud over the entire movie. And it was his performance that did that. I'm sure it's it's also the, the way that the character was written, but it's his performance that really cements that. Um, and everybody was, you know, see Thomas Howell. This is definitely uh, probably my favorite performance of his. And this is a gut punch. So I say nine out of 10 and I say definitely, uh, definitely pick it up.
1: Absolutely. And for me, I think I said this before when I was making up my top 10 list, this movie a couple different times was in it. And then I took it out and then I put it back in. I took it out. And I would say it's at any given moment easily in the top 20 for me. Um, I feel like it fluctuates between a nine and a 9.5 for me. I'll probably keep it at a nine because I, I I think that it's not a perfect movie, but I mean, there are a few plot things and whatnot. But as the performances go, as the tone of it goes, as the ideas in it, because I think there are some interesting ideas in it go, I love this movie i can't recommend it enough i definitely think it's a buy if you can find it highly recommend it uh it is a fantastic fantastic movie that i think deserves to be seen and talked about more all right so that is our feature review for the hitcher and now we will go into our shutter sponsored screaming online segment This Screaming Online segment is brought to you by Shudder, the Netflix of horror. You can use Shudder to stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense films. It has a large, vast, growing, human-curated selection of exclusive and original films and series, horror classics, and blockbuster hits. We're talking about originals like Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror, which we covered in episode 171, our African-American representation in horror episode. You'll have unlimited access to stream ad-free on all your favorite devices. We're talking about iPhones, iPads, Apple TVs, Xbox One, Amazon Fire TV. That's how I get it. Google Chromecast, Roku, Android devices, and more. Now, I've made no secret about the fact that I am a massive Freddy Krueger fan. Love the character, love the movies, and I mean all of them. What I am stoked about is if you go to Shudder right now, they have the first six Nightmare on Elm Street movies, the first six, all of them available to watch. You can just watch them on a loop. You can marathon the things, and then when you're done with that, you can watch the Never Sleep Again documentary, which is a fantastic in-depth exploration of the entire entire Nightmare on Elm Street Legacy. You got to check it out. You can even use Shudder to watch our Screaming Online review from this week for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So if you want to give Shudder a free try for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use promo code HMP. That's S H U D D E R.com, promo code HMP. So now our review of Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974
0: what happened was true the most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in america
2: All right, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, directed by Toby Hooper. Just to set it up real quick, I mean, I know a lot of uh, people are already familiar with the synopsis for this. I'm not going to go too deep into it. But a a brother and sister, Sally, played by Marilyn Burns, and her uh, brother Franklin, who is in a wheelchair, played by Paul Partain, uh, are joined by three of their friends. They're heading down to Texas because uh, there's a report that the graveyard where their grandfather was buried uh, there's been some vandalism some some bodies dug up and um, they're going down to check and make sure everything's okay well they get down there and they decide that um, they want to show the friends the house where yeah, they spent some of their childhood so they drive out it's now dilapidated and you know nobody's obviously lived there for a while and uh, the friends Jerry Kirk and Pam decide to do a little exploring so they they uh, walk out into the Texas wilderness. And um, well, let's just say they, they stumble upon something they shouldn't have stumbled upon. Obviously, but this is my all time favorite horror film. I love the grittiness of it. I, I don't, I want to say dirty, but it, I, I, that, that has like yes. negative connotations. There's a griminess,
1: to it. A, griminess a griminess. There to is, it.
2: there's a griminess to it. You could tell when they were shooting that they had that griminess. I mean, even when you listen to all the stories from behind the scenes, how um, Gunnar Hansen plays Leatherface, you know, one of one of the people who are lead characters, uh, unfortunately, come face to face with how he had to wear the same shirt for weeks in the in the August sun in Texas and how nobody wanted to sit anywhere near him. And when they were filming a scene with food, how they used real food instead of fake food, because this is sort of everyone's first movie. Toby Hooper, I think, was still a student or something or something. You know, or or um, maybe had just graduated. This was his first movie.
1: I think he had done one sort of very avant-garde student type film yes. before this yes. one. But yeah, this is definitely their first real deal movie.
2: Right. Yeah, this, this, right. Exactly. You know, <laughs> so he had real food with the hot lights hitting it plus the, the summer. And uh, who was it? Edwin Neal played the hitchhiker. Yes, Said that uh, as they were leaning in, they just they just could barely lean in,
1: <laughs> <A lot laughs> the way
2: that. that the food was smelled. But you get that feeling from it as you're watching the film. You get that sort of, like you said, the griminess. I think that's a good uh, a good way of putting it. Um, but another thing that I really, first off, uh, I love how it's insane. This movie's absolutely crazy, and it just gets crazier as it goes mm-hmm. along. You know, there's no real way to predict. When you see the opening of this movie, how it's going to end and the things that are said. I mean, my my all time favorite line is from this movie, too. And it's 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 hilarious when you think about it. But it's look what your brother did to the door. Doesn't he have any pride in
1: his home? And it's the way he says it, the way that Jim Seedow says that line, the cook, the way he says it is just so Flabbergasted, he's so incredulous. He just right. with with all the m- utter madness that is going on in this scenario. That's the focal point.
2: I mean, they they live with feathers on the floor and and bones for tables and everything, yeah. chickens and bird cages. Exactly, but he doesn't like what happened at the door. Of course. But then there's another thing about the movie that I think really appeals to me. The more I watch it, you know, and it, this sort of hit me that no character learns anything in this. You know how sometimes in a horror movie. When there's a killer, the first few victims have no idea it's coming. But then some will say, hey, look at this. And then the other ones are sort of. There's no learning in this movie. Nobody knows what's going on until it is too late. And they can't do anything about it for the most part. And there's just a great scene, and I think it's a great scene anyway, where a couple characters are waiting for the others to return. And they're hitting the horn because they figure, okay, they got lost or something. We know what's happened. The audience is in on everything. And we want to say, get the hell out of there. Don't be hitting the horn. Get in the van and drive away. But they can't do that. These characters can't do that. These are their good friends. If they're lost and they're going to leave them behind, you know the characters can't do that. It's almost like a hopeless situation. And the audience, like I said, is in on everything. The characters know nothing at this point. And... Nobody knows anything until it is the absolute last minute too late. And if you think of that, that opening the first victim, the way it happens, I think is pretty chilling. Yes. With the convulsing Mm -hmm. and then the door, you know, oh man.
1: It probably goes without saying that the vast majority of people listening to this episode have seen this movie probably more than once. I mean, I don't I don't want to jump to conclusions here. So, we're going to try to be good here just in case, just in case.
2: Yeah, I I I don't want to just in case. We got to, we got a lot of of younger listeners.
1: Yeah. But if you haven't, please pause this and go watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh yeah. It's on Shutter right now. Just go right. watch it. Right, exactly. I mean, please. So, to your point though, about that scene, it's the buildup too. It's the the noises you hear and that sort of way a lot of the shots are set up so yes. that the you know, the, the way they have the sort of negative space in the frame and and the character enters in and you know just picks around and it's just it's a sudden jump. And it's not even a jump scare per no, se. In no. a sense, this movie has jump scares, but they're done with such a, almost a convulsive editing that mm-hmm. It's the whole, the whole essence of it is jarring. It's not just a moment, a shot, the lighting. It's all of that combined with this almost just as discordant as some of the music is where it's, it's this weird, uh, I don't know what you would call it. Otherworldly sounding Mm -hmm. (laughs) percussion-y kind. And it doesn't really, and it doesn't really have any melody. And it's just sort of, in in a sense, it's like, that's what the editing is. And you could, somebody could point out and say, well, that's just, that's not good editing. But for this movie, it's the perfect editing.
2: Yeah, it's, it is. It really is because it fits in with it fits in with the overall feel of the film.
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, it matches it, it matches it perfectly.
1: I do want to throw it in too, because you said this is, of course, your number one horror film. And if anybody's listened to the episode where we talked about my top 10, this is in my top 10 mm-hmm. of all time. And I feel that even though it's not my number one, it is one of the greatest horror it may only be in my like lower part of my top 10 but it's one of the greatest horror movies of all time just because it transcends any anything that you would expect like you say mm-hmm. it just, it goes so beyond any ideas of what you think you're getting into. If you've never seen the movie, I I mean, it's almost become cliche at this point. How many people will see this movie and say, yeah, that it was this really gory graphic movie. And then when you see it again, you're like, Oh, wait a minute. I mean, it is, there's a little blood, but for what it's called and what the subject matter is and the way it's plays out, you would think it would just be on uh, just a whole other level of violence and Gore, but it's all just highly suggestive, highly suggestive.
2: That's exactly, that That was a point I was going to make. You're absolutely right. If you, you you could come away from this, and people did come away from this thinking it was like the goriest movie they've ever seen, and it's just not.
1: Yeah, it's the year after The Exorcist. It's the year after The Exorcist, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But things
2: happen. You know, I'm thinking that scene with the hook. Mm-hmm. You don't see, but you, you think you saw.
1: Yeah. And even worse than that, though, and even worse than that is something that struck me really hard watching it this time, it's that. As that hook scene is playing out for that particular character, they're not dead, right? Yes. And what they're witnessing and the way that's positioned and blocked in the the shot to where you don't see what that chainsaw is doing, but they do. And knowing that in their final moments, that's what they're taking in. This is what's going to happen to me too. Yes. And this person that I care about, I'm having to witness this this thing happening to them. I, exactly, you know, it's it's horrifying on every possible level that you can use that word. Is yeah. what this movie is.
2: It is. It really is. And there are scenes that there are moments that make you laugh. There sure. are, are moments that that you you find humorous. Another thing about this, there's a really interesting, a really cool scene with Leatherface. Uh, after the first two, he's out there sitting. He's looking out the window, and he's sitting there. He's like really not happy that this is going down. Mm-hmm. he's doing what he feels like he's got to do. But this is not like what what you think of when you think of um, most of the masked killers. Mo- you know, when you think of, of a Michael Myers or a Jason Voorhees, who are just killing machines. Mm-hmm. Leatherface, you could tell by that scene, is not that.
1: Mm-hmm. He would rather not be doing this. He just wishes everyone would leave him alone. Did you always take it as he also wanted some sense of direction that he's so used to having either the hitchhiker or the cook there to tell him what to do.
2: That's an excellent point. Yes. That's, that's probably it too, that, that he's by himself. Yeah. He's making these decisions and you get a taste of that when the, when the cook gets home Mm -hmm. and he's got to sort of explain everything that's happened. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. That, that, that's also, and it is a house of horrors. Yeah. From the feathers to the bones to the, what you were saying that the 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 chicken in the cage, the chicken in the canary cage is yeah. what it is.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's so bizarre. It it, and, it it really is. And and just just like we you know when John Laroquette, aka Dan Fielding, gives us that voiceover at the beginning yes. about it being one of the most bizarre crimes you know in the in the a- annals of
2: American uh, history. Yes, or, or, it, yeah, it, yeah.
1: That it's that's the truth because you come away from this. Just having feeling like you have just experienced madness in its most feral, primal, disturbed way. Like this is almost what like like what it would be like to be in the the mind of madness. That it's and just like when you see a certain without giving it away, a certain mm-hmm. character's eyes and close up at, at a key point in the third act,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and you can see the break in their eyes with reality and sanity that you can see that in that moment they are going over the edge and they will not return that they are done
2: and you even get you see that right to the very end
1: yes you you do right to the end
2: right to the very end you 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 see that back to the opening scene now or the very early scene not the opening scene the opening scene this is this, this is the movie that gave us that sound effect that polaroid You know, that Mm -hmm. that they reuse for so many movies and so many movie trailers now, even though that Polaroid camera has been defunct for how many decades now? They still use that sound effect in trailers. But the the opening images of this are of of a skeleton that's been dug up and it's been sort of uh, reshaped uh, and tied up. And that's the first image that you sort of see. You get glimpses of that as the flash is going off. And then it's it's too then it's too sally and all they they show up there but riding in that van that's what I wanted to get to is in that van this is low budget filmmaking they're all crowded in that van even the cameraman everybody they're crowded in that van to shoot this and you can feel the heat in that van
3: mm-hmm.
2: of how hot this this summer was and it, it's so right away you're getting an uncomfortable feeling. You know, just from these characters early on, and then something, they pick up a hitchhiker who plays prominently, you know, sort of at different portions of the movie, who is completely in, insane. You know, you know, you say you don't want to pick up, you shouldn't pick up hitchhikers. Well, you really shouldn't pick up hitchhikers a mile away from a slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie shows you that. Yes, you it, know it does. So, so the movie gets you that you're already uncomfortable because you see the heat, you see them sweating. Plus you've got Franklin, you know, I guess, I guess early on there was that scene of him going down the hill, which it it always struck me as a little unusual, at least at first, when I first saw it, I said, oh, that was kind of an unusual thing to just throw in there. But again, it's, it sort of puts you in that whole situation that it's not a good situation. Mm -hmm. It's not a good situation that they're in and it's an uncomfortable situation and you get that right from the start and it's only going to grow from there.
1: And it's all just so unnerving. I think to your point about when Franklin, you know, when his wheelchair goes down, mm-hmm. or and and honestly, I know that a popular, <laughs> a popular punching bag is that character of yes. Franklin. For, and good for, for good
2: reason. For a good reason.
1: But I will say this. And, and again, one of the things that struck me watching it this time in prep for the show was how, yes, is the things he does annoying. hmm Are they grading? hmm But if you think about it it's all helping to heighten the tension. Yes. He has to be that way. You have to have that character who is that way because so many other aspects of the sound design and the editing, they're all like Franklin, but maybe because they're not personified, we don't have a target to go. Why is this bothering me so much? <laughs> right. And, right. And, it, exactly. and you know, and, and Franklin's whiny and he won't be quiet. And, but it's, it again, it's that putting your nerves on edge so that when you get to that last 30 minutes, which I mean, I was actually checking. Uh, I, I just was curious to know, like, what? Because this movie's pretty tight. It's like, what, 83 minutes long? It's, I mean, it's not a pretty long. Yeah. yeah. It's a very yeah. short film and uh, for a feature. And it was at certain key points, like, I was amazed at how fast it progresses to all of those famous set pieces that it has and how some of the most famous set pieces all happen within the last 15 minutes of this movie, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's a bit of a slow burn at first, but again, because of Franklin, because of the atmosphere, because of all the things you've touched on, it just has this build that, you know, when the stuff begins to happen, you know it's coming. I mean, if, even if you've never seen the movie before, you know something's going to happen. I mean, the title alone <laughs> right. tells yeah, you that. So,
2: exactly. Yeah. But I will say, I mean, with Franklin, yeah, I, just to get back to that character for a second, you're right, he's designed to be grading. Just another thing there to, to put everybody on edge. That's a good mm-hmm. point. But there is a moment late in the film where you know, Sister Sally is forced to have to do something and Franklin's like, well, take me with you. And you're like, that's this. That's really a very well. It's a bad idea. We know why it's a bad idea for other reasons. Mm-hmm. But forget that. Let's say, let's. She's not going to push this guy through like, through through
1: the woods and through, Thick through underbrush the, and underbrush
2: and, yeah. and everything. <laughs> in, in the wheelchair, it's one of those things where you're thinking, if if are poor
1: Sally, you want to just dump this guy out of the chair and take off. Yeah. You know, and this is her brother. And I will say, I I feel like Marilyn Burns. I know that obviously a lot of people champion her as you know being amongst the great scream queens. Mm-hmm. But I really say that her performance in this—I mean, this is again very low budget movie. I don't know what how much experience she had had prior to this. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of the people involved in this weren't they at, right out of pretty much out of college, yeah. uh, and so, yeah. but especially in that last. 30 minutes, the tour de force performance she gives of terror and, and it's like, one could say, well, yeah, but I mean, how hard is it? You look scared. No, no, no. To go to the level that she goes to, you believe that she is in mortal danger. You mm-hmm. believe that this, and I'm using this word again because it seems appropriate for this movie, but this feral, primitive state within her kicks in a pure survival yeah. and nothing else matters and you buy her reactions and the way and what she does and 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 just the the sort of you could almost see how she is at that moment just running on pure I, I don't know genetic imperative to mm-hmm. survive. Like it is right. there's nothing else matters. And her performance is astonishing because I mean, so much of obviously acting and cinema acting is in the eyes. And I mean, you never doubt for a second that she is scared out of her mind.
2: Mm-hmm. And for the, and she does, and like you said, she does things that mo- most people would think twice about doing, and she doesn't just runs, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to just for one specific scene runs forward, doesn't even think twice about it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. just, this is what I need to do right now, right at this moment.
1: Yeah it all sets everything up so masterfully and i don't know if it's one of the situations where uh, hooper and hinkle just to some degree their you know their first major feature out i mean a major you know it's obviously very low budget independent but you know right. the first big one that they're doing here if a lot of it was just kind of luck, <laughs> they just happened to, it, it's, it's serendipitous that they, they just had these, these things line up because it feels like this is a movie that I know we, obviously we've had tried to have remakes and some of the, the remakes and things I have enjoyed on you know yeah. for what they were. Right. Obviously it's had many sequels and eventually yeah. we will at some point be getting to the franchise review as we've discussed before. Yep. But none of them have the aesthetic, the tone, the feeling Of this movie.
2: No, I agree. And whether it was by design or by sheer chance with, because of the circumstances and the budget or whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. It's there and it worked. It is. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It
2: it absolutely worked. And it's just, everything was, everything was perfect. The the circumstances were perfect. It was, it needed to be that difficult to make it, to get the actors maybe to where they needed to to be.
1: Mm I think that's and a, it needed really to it.
2: have that heat to 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 add to the overall uncomfortableness of it and yeah. and it needed that level of insanity to to get Marilyn Burns to where she was at the end and it is insane you could almost make an argument things get so crazy that is this what she's seeing in her mind is this what's mm-hmm. really happening it's really happening you know it's sure. not there's never any doubt about it that this is what's really happening because the characters are that insane yeah. or the, of this family. There's no doubt that it's actually happening, but you could almost, you could almost see it from the other angle. Like this is all, this is just too crazy to be believed.
1: Now I do want to touch on a, a couple things. Cause you did mention the humor that it does play in this movie. And mm-hmm. of course, Toby Hooper had gone on record many times saying that to him, this was a dark comedy that, that that was one of his intended ideas. Now
3: mm-hmm.
1: I think, I think on some level and and, and and I was really watching it this time with that in mind, I see it. I could see it, especially key scenes, especially with the Jim Dow character. There's a couple yes. of key moments with him that are so absurdist. It's almost more of absurdist dark comedy than it is right. just actual dark humor. Um you're not going to laugh. A lot of
2: people are not going to maybe laugh once. And nervous. I, know, I can see
1: nervous, I, I, nervous yeah. laughter, maybe. Yeah. I
2: laughed. I laughed. At, I laughed a, a couple times. The, the, the same with, look what your brother did to the door. That made me
1: laugh. Yeah. But I, I, but I, I guess I feel like I understand that that's what he, and he's the, the maker of it. So he can obviously say what he wants. Right, <laughs> but right. I, I I think the, the key, though, is that maybe with a different aesthetic, maybe with a certain different he changes everything from the editing to the sound design <laughs> to, right. to to so many elements of this movie. Maybe the humor would have been more obvious, but I think one of the things that makes it work so well is that is it you have to question as you're watching it, is this funny or is this just madness? You know, the, the way this character's acting, I mean, this because Marilyn Burns is looking so terrified in this moment, what he's doing isn't really funny, but yet the way he's doing it kind of is. Mm-hmm. And so- you know, it, it creates this weird conflict. I know, I know it did in me as I'm watching the movie. Now, the other thing he claimed that at least I remember hearing on several occasions was that when he made this movie, he was going for a PG, which, wow. which have you ever heard that before? Have you heard that? I, have. I did okay. hear that before. Yeah, but I, I'm,
2: I'm amazed every time I yeah, hear it. I know because
1: it, it, it seems so. But I will say this one thing that jumped out at me. There's no nudity. There's no, no sex. There's very little language. Right. And it's very tame language because, you know, as we forget, uh, you know, I know, a lot of people listening, you know, depending on what age they are, pre-19, late 84, when the PG-13 kicked in, you know, PG movies probably by some standards today would be pushing R uh, yeah. w- with certain ones. I mean, they could get away with some nudity. They could drop an F-bomb. They occasionally are you know, like one. they could, I mean, they could do some things and they could be violent. so. I guess I kind of see because that's probably why so much of this was meant to be suggestive. But mm-hmm. I just cannot believe as they were going back and looking over the dailies yeah. or whatever, <laughs> that that was, it, they thought that, that was going to happen. They
2: made they probably made conscious choices if he's, that's what he was going for. They made conscious choices to not do the language, the nudity, and the and the, too much of the uh, graphic, graphic violence. Yeah, but adult situ you know the 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 adult situations and scenes of terror. You, you, there's no getting around that. No, there
1: you know, isn't. And that,
2: there's no way that anybody was going to say, yes, this is okay for, for preteens and teenagers to go <laughs> To be sick. fair, PG
1: does mean parental guidance. Parental
2: Dave. guidance. Yes, yeah. So if your, par- if
1: your parents are guiding you correctly.
2: <laughs> I think for theater owners back then, it meant their parents guided them to the theater. And the theater
1: paid there, their ticket, and you know, let them go was, in. Exactly. That was,
2: their, that was all the parental guidance they were getting sure. back then. Sure. No, you know, back then theater owners were looking for the money that it it, it didn't matter. I've, I've seen theater. Well, I've been, I saw one theater where they took it extremely seriously, but you know, especially back then. And these are, these are, this is a a low budget movie. So this is playing in like the grindhouse theaters anyway.
1: And I do Uh, wonder if maybe he, it was one of those mind games he was playing with himself where he said, I'm going to go for a PG. I'm going to do in essence, everything I want to do, but I'm going to shoot it in such a way. As to go for a PG, because what my real hope is that I'll at least get the R. Right. <laughs> because right. if he showed anything on top of it being the way it was, I feel that he probably wouldn't have gotten the R in that scenario. Right. He no, gotten no. The, the dreaded right. X at the time, or just unrated. Because yes. yes. I think last last House on the Left was unrated, right?
2: I think it was. Yeah.
1: yeah. I don't think it got a rating. Yeah. So there there are those that uh, you know. Now, Last House actually came out after this, right? Was it right around the same time? No, I think it or was it might have been a little before. It was, it was a little been... before. Was it like 72? Yeah, it was before. Yeah. Okay, it was in the early 70s. Yeah, you're right. It was a little bit before. So so I guess what I'm saying is it wasn't without precedent for right. that to be the case. So I could see that being uh, a reasoning uh, uh, behind why he was doing what he was doing. So anyway, I've always found that fascinating as a little oh, bit yeah. of trivia.
2: I, I, that is that's interesting, but there was there was no way this movie was ever going to get a PG. I don't I don't care if if you know he he had a scene with the Easter Bunny in it. <laughs> the, this movie, as is, it was never going to get a PG no. rating. It it just wasn't. Um. So anyway, I don't know. Do you have anything more?
1: You well, want? No, I, I mean that's pretty much. It. I will say though. Speaking of ratings, uh, Dave, I I <laughs> do, have you ever? I mean, I, I'm assuming we could guess, but have mm-hmm. you ever officially given? Texas Chainsaw Massacre, a rating and recommendation?
2: Not on HMP, I don't believe. I have okay. on uh, other podcasts. Yes. Um, but I have not on HMP. It is a 10 out of 10, and it is a stream it on shutter. And then after you stream it on shutter, you're going to want to buy it.
1: Yes, for the extras, sure. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yes. And there
2: are, there are there are some. Dark Sky has a Blu ray out there that has awesome extras.
1: Okay, well, then I will absolutely pick that
2: Absolutely awesome extras.
1: I will pick that one up for sure.
2: I even just got the Steelbook. And this is now the third Blu-ray version of it that I have.
1: (laughs) I will back you up 100% and say this is a 10 out of 10 for me as well. It is a fantastic movie. I say buy it or at the very least, at the very least, if you have not seen this movie or haven't seen it in a long time, go on to Shudder. You know, if you don't have Shudder, I, you know, yes, they're sponsoring this, but Shudder is a great service. That's how I watched it for this go around, uh, because full disclosure, I have owned it in several incarnations over the years. And I don't know if it was just from one move to the next, you know, things just disappear. I can't find it anywhere. So I'm going to have to pick it up again, which, you know,
2: trust me. I know, I know what that's (laughs) like. I don't even move. I but see, I, I don't have
1: I don't have the I would say I don't have the good excuse you do, which is like this vast library. You know, over the years, I've tried to tame it down, and and uh, especially once my my V once the VHS days passed by, because I was my bigger library. Mm-hmm. I I tried to hone it down a little bit, but there are certain key ones that I would like to have, uh, if nothing else, just for the extras. But sure. regardless, I you know Shutter is sponsoring this. Go check them out. Use the code HMP to support the show. But the fact is, if you haven't seen it, watch it in. One version or the other, because this movie is, I mean, to say it's a classic is an understatement. Mm-hmm. It is a work of art. It is an important movie in the genre, and you owe it to yourself to check it out. Yep. All right, so that wraps up our feature review of Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 1974. Uh, obviously, Dave and I are huge fans, and Josh, we we're so happy that you loved that movie so much. You were speechless. Throughout I know. the entire review because <laughs> everything we were saying you were just in such agreement like i don't even have i have nothing to say i'm just it's all good yeah so
3: i did want to mention again of course that film is on shutter there they, shutter has an entire section called Sunscorched scorched movies and i think if you like this horror on the road concept i think a lot of these Sunscorched movies that they have in that playlist fit the bill there's the noonday witch Downrange, which we talked about a little bit earlier in the show. Sam was here. Sun don't shine. Wake and Fright. The Hills Have Eyes 2. The original. Phantasm Oblivion. And the Shudder exclusive Blind Sun, a mystery in the daylight. So that's
1: a, that's a surprisingly long list. Yeah. Yeah.
3: A lot of fun selections there from Shudder. And I wish I had been able to join you guys. Unfortunately, I am driving around in rural eastern Oregon. The sun is going to set here in a few minutes and I need to get inside.
2: <laughs> right, yeah. <you're>, especially <laughs> after this, you don't want to be out in the, in the road in the dark.
3: That's right.
1: Wolfman, you want to tell everybody where they can find you online?
3: Yeah, you can just find me at Icarus Arts, which is the shortened version of my production company, Icarus Arts and Entertainment. You can find me on Twitter Primarily Instagram, secondarily Letterbox, third, and Facebook a little bit. I'm not on Facebook very much. Dave?
2: DVDinfatuation.com.
3: Uh, I am going to start posting some new
2: reviews over there. I'm starting to work on some now. It's been uh, quite a while, but I think it's time. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at DVDinfatuation. I'm also on Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, Letterboxd. Other podcasts, of the uh, Land of the Creeps with uh, Greg Amortis, uh, Haddonfield Hatchet, uh, Bill Van Vagel, and um, other people stopping by from time to time. You'll find that at uh, landofthecreeps.blogspot.com, the Gods and Monsters cast. Uh, I know for a fact there will be one of those coming along in the the near future. Um, And so uh, stay tuned for that.
1: Yes, and I can be found at Retro Movie Geek, retromoviegeek.com. And we recently, uh, Peter and I, recorded an episode of sort of an offshoot podcast, sort of a, it's Retro Movie Geek Presents, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, We did an episode, it's our second episode, of Terror on the Tube. So if you're listening to Horror Movie podcasts, you may be interested in checking this out. We covered a movie from 1970, called the house that would not die which by the way greatest title ever it it was (laughs) uh, and so the whole premise of this little experiment that peter and i have is that we will try to find these 1970s 80s and some into the 90s these made for tv horror and thriller suspense movies that you pretty much have never heard of let alone have seen and we made a list of about 25 they're all available on youtube but it's pretty much the only place we've been able to find them and we sort of spin the wheel at the end of each episode, and one of us randomly picks a number, and we pick that movie. And the idea is you go inside unseen, and you watch it, and we have an appreciation for these movies for what they are. Uh, and a lot of them are very atmospheric and creepy. Uh, the funny part is, you know, we joke a lot about Gods and Monsters, a.k.a. Universal Monsters cast, and that we are going to hopefully have one of those coming out shortly, but... A tear on the tube isn't doing much better because we just recorded our second episode our first episode was last june of 2018 <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's it's been a minute for that one as well but it's fun we just sort of do of them when we can but so that'll be on the retro movie geek feed so check that out if you are so inclined and interested
3: i could not wait to listen to that that sounds like a lot of fun and it cool. actually reminds me of some sad news that i need to Mention because I think we we uh, love these folks and we want to give them our support. The Haunted Davenport podcast, who are uh, good friends of the show, of yes. course, Allison with a Y, the Horror Unicorn, has been a guest on this show and Retro Movie Geek, current her, her wonderful husband, uh, were guests at the MPN Meetup event in Salt Lake City that we had. Just great people. They do a podcast. It's a retro horror and sci-fi television podcast. And so it's kind of in the same wheelhouse as what you're talking about, Joel. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, one of their hosts uh, passed away in an untimely manner this week. And Mm -hmm. we want to give all of our warmest uh, condolences to the Haunted Davenport podcast, and uh, say to Chris, we wish you well on your way.
1: Oh man, that is awful. I'm so sorry.
3: Right? Yeah. It was. I, I saw. It was a shame.
1: Oh man, that's awful. Oh, really? Sorry to hear that.
3: Yeah, it's it's a terrible thing, and uh, we we love those guys. We really do. Yeah. Meeting them at the meetup was fantastic. Um, it was. Yeah. It
2: was. It was great to to get a chance to to meet them both, and and um, I, I know they went out to dinner with us that one night. It was it was great.
1: Yeah, Allison actually has come on Retro Movie Geek. She covered The Visitor from nineteen seventy eight. You remember Ooh. that one? That was yeah. it John Houston. Uh, that that sort of weirdest movie ever made. Right. <laughs> movie. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> We were so sorry to hear about Chris's passing, and uh, we wish you guys well, and we hope to hear more from you. Absolutely. Cool.
1: All right. Well, we love reading and responding to your comments, so we hope you'll get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. It's truly a great group of people. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com, where you can find this and all 177 of our past episodes. You can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorMovieCast. If you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. You can get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at HorrorMoviePodcast.com forward slash store. We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at FrederickIngram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at KaganBreitenbach.com. And that's it for this episode. We hope you'll join us us again for our next episode when we're covering... So
3: here's what we have coming up. We've talked about doing Frankensteinian. We've talked about doing a Versus episode with the two Wicker Man films. Mm Mm-hmm. I did want to have Allison on for that so I don't know if that will be possible uh, considering her current situation mm. um, we had talked about doing Joel's themed episode of Tiny Terrors so I think all of those are on the table if you're one of those three people out there like Joel <laughs> <laughs> if you're one of the three people who listen to our entire puppet master friend, <laughs> Brian, <yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> then, then you too will be super excited about Joel's theme oh, that's great so thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.
3: <laughs> we can't even say that with a straight face anymore. Come on. Uh,
1: <laughs> especially when we're talking Tiny Terror. Right.
3: Well, there's also that documentary, now I'm going to have to look that up, of a, a guy who ran a hotel that was like this peeping Tom for years. I think someone inherited the hotel, and then they found this like labyrinth of walkways above oh. all the rooms of this tiny motel. And it had been there for years. And I think the guy even said that when he bought the hotel, those were already there from the previous owner. Oh. And then he, it just kind of sucked him in and he got, wow. he got became obsessed with that world.
1: Oh yeah. Look that up. That That's the kind of documentary that'll give me nightmares. Look that up. It for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Did you hate the fact that at the very, very end when there's a certain key character that's quote unquote in an orange grove in, uh, Uh. I think she even says frost proof, which by the way, is in the same county I live in. And if you look very closely, (laughs) wait, if you look very closely, you can see mountains,
3: (laughs) I believe, behind Uh, her. uh. In my memory, it was one of the first things I ever saw Steve Zahn in. I remember just thinking, this guy is amazing, but as i look back at his filmography i was definitely familiar with him from happy texas before that from safe ben from suburbia that thing you do, do, do. So,
1: that's the one for me that thing you do i love that movie like in yeah. a in a ridiculously stupid way i love that movie
3: yeah it's great
1: so yeah, Steve's on is a, is a good, and, and uh, has he been in anything as of late now that you bring him up? <laughs> um,
3: yeah, I, I, mean, we've talked about him somewhat recently when he did a perfect getaway. We covered that on our summer vacation horror for the movie podcast network patrons. Um, that was in 2013 since then he's been in war of the planet of the apes. Oh, okay. He's in captain fantastic. He was in 38 episodes of Treme though, which is a great show.
1: Oh, and also uh, Paul Thomas Walker, right? He,
3: Paul Walker, but he's I. Paul Walker, sorry, I
1: wrong name. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, not to speak eld of the dead, but I don't think he's quite as great as Steve's on.
1: No, 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 no. no. I, yeah, I get, I get that. It's I, I just remember that was one of the first movies where I was even aware of his existence, and then uh, Lily Sobieski, who I always yes. remembered looked like a very young Helen Hunt to me. So I think that's yeah, why. Yeah, she really did. She, yeah, and then, but it was directed by John Dahl, who. Uh, what was the uh, movie he did with Linda Fiorentino and was it Nick Cage? I know he's he did a couple of like, these like uh, neo-noir crime films. Yeah, Last Seduction, that was it. Last Seduction uh, he did with Linda Fiorentino and then Red Rock West he did with okay. Nick Cage. Hmm.
2: I've heard really good things. I haven't seen Red Rock West, but I've heard really good yeah, things about it.
1: It's also got Dennis Hopper in it. It's this sort of like uh, neo-noir Kind of a, I seem to remember having kind of a Western vibe, but yeah, it's kind of a real cool, he also did rounders. So I remembered, I remembered being aware of him going into that movie. That may have been one of my motivating factors for, I wanted to see it, but I do remember enjoying the hell of it because it was very dual esque in a way. Uh, if the guy in the truck actually talked to you, <laughs> but, but there was a, there was some good humor in it. And I, and I just remember even the buildup to the climax just being so intense and you know, it it was, I thought it was a very effective thriller. So I I would definitely recommend people check that out.
3: It was due to my schedule that I could not join you for that. That is true. Again, I am literally parked on the side of the the road right now
1: at a rest area by (laughs) chance.
3: No, I was too scared to park at a rest area. I actually did pull over at a rest area. And then this truck parked weirdly behind me, like in a kind of a weird orientation. And they had like a gun rack and like a bunch of stickers with deer skulls. And the guys were chewing tobacco. And I just thought, I'm just going to leave.
1: Yeah. Time to go. Time to mosey along. (laughs) By the way, if you really want to have fun, uh, about two years ago, we stayed at the Dillard House in North Georgia, and Mm -hmm. it is very close to where they shot Deliverance. And I had gone to the Dillard House when I was much younger. And they used to have, when you go into the lobby... A bunch of signed memorabilia and production stills, because oh, a wow. lot of the a lot of the cast, while they were filming it, would go there because that place has been there forever, uh, and yeah. they would it would eat and everything. And so, if you go there now, they still have a couple of little mementos. At least as of a year and a half, two years ago, they did uh, a couple of mementos up there uh, referencing Deliverance, which I personally also feel is a, just a fantastic classic movie. Oh but. yeah.
2: I want to go back and watch, um, what was it, Dark Shadows? Wow. Well, Dude, with, um, that will take
3: you a long time. <laughs> I said, uh, yeah. I, oh, I, no, I, not Dark Shadows.
2: Not Dark Shadows. Like, well, never mind. Dark Shadows is the one that put me to sleep. Yeah, I was going to say, that is a <laughs>
1: commitment of the rest of your life, sir. What
2: is the one that, that Rod Serling did in the 70s? You might as well watch
3: all of Doctor Who.
1: <laughs> yeah, right.
3: Uh,
2: no, I'm not, oh, I'm not watching um, that. Night Gallery. You're night thinking of Night Gallery, gallery. That's yes? That's what I'm thinking. That was yes. like three. seasons. Uh, er, 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 hey, there, and
1: very early Spielberg did with Joan that's Crawford, right. right? Yeah, that's a great Spielberg,
2: episode. I think in the first episode, yes. Spielberg's yes.
1: Um, segment with Joan Crawford yes. is, is
2: in that one. Yep, and it's good, um, it's really good. And I would, I would love to do because uh, I have all three seasons. I'd love to go back and do Night Gallery. That oh, would yeah. be a lot of fun. If
3: Classic. you ever do want to watch a little Dark Shadows, I've got some really nice collections that are just story arcs. Okay. It, was, it, it was a soap opera essentially sure so. it was but there, yeah but there are some little story arcs within that that are really good a couple and so i've got okay. like two or three different collections that are fun story arcs
2: that would probably be better than than
3: watching just random episodes i think watching a thousand episodes, can, episodes or yeah <laughs> or definitely I gotta admit, better.
2: i gotta say i mean i've had people rave about the show and it, I, I i watched try to watch three different episodes and i fell asleep in the middle of all three of them.
3: So yeah. if you got, like, some story arcs or something, that would be great. The story arcs help, and they're nice, and they're c- okay. contained, and so you can kind of, like, get a sense of it. There is a lot of paint drying on that show, I will say, but I love it myself.
2: <laughs> okay. I think she's I think she's a better actress. Than, a lot of people look to this film and say, well, yeah, you know, she was great in that. Uh, Even Alive, I thought she yes, gave a really good performance in that, yeah. too. Yeah, you know, it's another Hooper film, and I thought she gave it. And and that one, she's just not. It's not the same type of character.
1: And that's early Robert England, right? Isn't he in that as oh, well? Oh yeah, yeah,
2: very early Robert England. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very early Robert England. And that's another movie. That's almost like a sister movie to, to Texas Chainsaw. You can you can imagine them both existing in the same universe. I don't want to get too heavy into uh, Eaten Alive. We'll probably cover that at another point.
1: You can get your listener designed HMBT. You can get your listener designed HNP. Good God! Now don't let this be the new thing. I can't say HMP. Can I throw a monkey wrench into the tiny terrors?
3: Yes, please.
1: Okay, so here's the monkey wrench. Something I, I've been wanting to broach, and I'm going to do it here publicly. So when you lambast me, I have evidence of of the cruelty with which Josh treats me. I'm just kidding. He's wonderful. <laughs> uh, the my thought was this: when it comes to tiny terrors, there's so many different buckets for that so sort of how you talked about if we do like a japanese horror you're doing sort of Jesus volume christ one.
3: you're not saying hey, we're gonna do multiple I, penny <laughs> terrors installments are you
1: I, I am saying that you could argue it should be broken down into like say killer dolls and oh then and and then small <laughs> alien beings wow or, or and and things from another world a la the gate i'm just yeah. saying that technically there's so much ground so much fertile Cinematic soil that we could dig our fingers into over a series volumes of these films. I cannot be the only one who loves these movies.
2: If you have us do a Ghoulies franchise review.
1: I didn't say do a <laughs> Ghoulies franchise review, although I do want to cover part two because I prefer it to part one. Okay.
3: <laughs> but 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 here's my feeling. We've already done a child's play franchise review. We've sure. already done a Puppet Master franchise sure, review. Sure. We're talking about doing a critters franchise review. Okay. I feel like we could do Tiny Terrors as one installment. And then if we wanted to do a separate episode on Beans from Another World, it could include a little bit of Tiny Terror talk, but that wouldn't have to be necessarily the focus of the episode.
1: Okay. Sure. okay so should we call it Tiny Terrors then, or should the, the focus be killer dolls? Or do we feel like that's too close to the Puppet Master or Child's Play thing?
3: No, I'm saying I think we cover every version of Tiny Terror, including all those you named. Okay. Under the large umbrella of Tiny Terrors. Got it.
1: Okay. Okay.
3: Just kind of like what we did tonight. And then if uh, we do feel like, you know what? Despite doing a full Tiny Terrors episode and a full Child's Play franchise review and a full Puppet Master franchise review and probably at some point a full Annabelle franchise review, uh, you know what's really lacking is some killer dolls talk. <laughs> 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 then I'd say we just stay open to that in the future. We can absolutely right. do that if if we feel there's a need for it. Okay. Now, would you include killer
2: mannequins in that? Uh, a la a- Tourist Trap? To- well, a la a- Tourist Trap, yeah.
1: Or a la um, a- a- Mannequin, starring Kim Cattrall.
2: How oh. big are the mannequins, is the question.
1: Ah, interesting. <laughs>
2: there you go. How about, thought- how about I- ventriloquist I- dummies? Ventriloquist dummies. They, they those, hey, those with
1: hey, dolls or? Or, Yes, they would. And ventriloquist dummies are my personal fear because when I was four years old, Dr. Paul Bear, Creature Feature, Channel 44, I saw Devil Doll. And it friggin traumatized me with Hugo the killer ventriloquist dummy. Traumatized <laughs> who, me. Wow who
3: would have thought I'd be trading in pig-headed horror for <laughs> more tiny terror?
2: <laughs> yes episodes. yeah right're we're, we're gonna we're gonna have it it's gonna be a yearly uh, What about yearly Vietnamese
1: pot-bellied pig-headed horror <laughs> <laughs> So it's a about, combo about, of how tiny
2: how about, t- how about the pig uh, ventriloquist
1: dolls? Oh Are I like any that. of those. I don't know. There may not be. I, I that might be a thing. Miss Piggy. Would that, so would so be the good film? news is folks, the good news is folks that if like me, you are a fan of tiny terrors, you have so much great content <laughs> to look mm-hmm. forward to.
3: If on <laughs> retro movie geek.
1: <laughs> right. This, this year on spooky flicks yeah, right. There you if,
2: go. You're, uh, if you're one of those three people out there, like Joel, <laughs>
3: If you're uh, one of the three people who listened to our entire Puppet Master, right? <laughs> <Brian, yeah>.
1: then, <laughs> then you too will be super excited about Joel's theme. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's great.